we'll 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 begin starting now. Welcome to the Rex Crim Show. Thanks for having me. God love you. Today we're chatting with uh, a dear old friend. I wonder how um, how well I'll go into uh, into the intimacies we we know of one another. <laughs> I mean, if I, I don't I don't know. It sounds like we won't be able to get too intimate. No, I think you you need to be. Uh, I just don't you know. I just don't get too explicit about the name. But this is you're like the. You know, I've only done a handful of these, so I'm still figuring it all out. So you're part of the exclusive initial content that will be hopefully released in a big launch in the next, uh, I'm expecting for it to be by end of month. I was going to ask, when am I going to be able to see see what everyone else has been talking about? Well, I'll be glad to show you in advance uh, if you'd like to proof the my work in uh, snipping it together, but... Sure, I'd love to see it. As we were saying, I'm interrupting you now. I'm happy to be invited. Is that a new chair? Is that a specific chair you got? Yeah, it's a chair that I like to, you know, armchair philosophize in and, um, you know, some things never change. So let me... I haven't haven't seen your new apartment in person, so I don't know the full, the effect, the the type of ambiance you're working with over there. I guess we should get right into it uh, in trying to make sense of our unique circumstances. I mean... Um, let's start off from the top and just kind of help shed light on, uh, for anyone listening, how it is that we know each other. Well, we went to school together for a short period of time and then we met up again post-secondary for a little bit, but uh, I don't think school was really what brought us together. It was probably just mutual friends joining us together and then a couple times really hit it off. I think after you came back from Europe is when we really started to have some real similarities before then it was just hanging out because of location really i would say yeah yeah i think of a mutual friend um the late ricardo (laughs) as as one example that's not a a good example maybe but he was the first one that brought you into my presence into my house Uh, yeah for sure god rest his soul because a couple friends that aren't with us anymore rare to have but He's he's one of them for sure. Well, we'll start we'll start off with a uh, with a down note. This could be a <laughs> this could be a dark episode. So, are you enjoying a beverage? Uh, just to be clear, is it a an alcoholic beverage or? Um... <laughs> it is. It's a sour. Oh, good from uh, from a brewing company in. It's a craft beer, but where is it from? Collingwood. Yeah, Collingwood, Ontario. Good. Yeah. Lately it's been all Ontario folks. I've been uh, connecting with old friends and uh, dare I say that I had to sort of, you know, diversify the demographic of my interviewees. Oh, as far the uh, what's the right word? The optics weren't so great. eh? Well, I want to start delving into, you know, the true uh, friendships and relationships that I maintain, but I I guess it started off with a bit of white supremacy. (laughs) How did Moira enjoy the uh, the situation? Mother was um, well. You'll have to wait and hear the conversation. I mean, God love her. She's uh, she's a man of God, as it were. And um, yeah, you know. And it was a great conversation. I think in terms of did it denigrate to that to that topic a lot? Well, it it was sort of like themes of um, faith versus science, and you know, like we hashed out some meaning of of her perception and gender ideology and, and where, you know, we found area where we maybe had to agree and disagree. 
around bi- got, got into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we did. Good. We did. It's philosophical and people might um I really should have shared some content with you before so you could have been able to refer to it while we chat, but that's not what's important. What's important now is, you know, getting to the inside perspective of your daily life. And I usually start by getting some context about how I know the person I'm chatting with. Sure. Sure. So I, I, I should highlight that we agreed to you, you graciously agreed to come on here um, with the intention of chatting about, you know, anti-vaccines and we'll come sure. to that, I guess, but I think it's not that I'm an expert or, or well-read in the subject, yeah. just in anecdotal evidence and uh, perhaps what I see in my work, but it's very limited. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I want to circle back exactly to talk around, you know, what you're allowed to say regarding your work. Uh, we can easily say that you're a, your, your, your position, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I'm a registered nurse. I work in the ICU. I think I'd be allowed to say anything, but I don't think there's a reason for specifics or anything. Yeah. Nope. It's funny. Exactly. Discretion is the word. And, um, but it is funny because I think in your profession, unlike mine, yours is a little bit more professionalized in the sense that you belong to a college yeah, a regulated sort of- body and obviously couldn't discuss patients. Couldn't discuss. I wouldn't really want to discuss too many specifics about a case. Keep it very general. Of course. Sure. And most definitely, but in terms of getting in and speaking, getting on and speaking to the public. Yeah. About- yeah, I'd have to definitely look into that if I was ever going to do something like speak out against some sort of um, regulation that was being said or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you would want to make sure you had the the representation of you know whichever union, et cetera. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but we're we're already de- you know getting off topic. But that's the whole point is that we I hope to pick your brain about your opinion on anti-vax as a nurse as a public health message, I guess, for the internet, but, um, but be, by all means, feel free to, uh, to digress in whichever direction you so, you so see fit. Do you see it like personally, like any, any of your friends or colleagues um, quite against the current vaccine that's been in place? Well, I mean, back to the point of the conversation I had with my mother on how such a fundamental understanding of the world, like, one's sexuality or their gender embodiment, so to speak. Um, I can't imagine someone as close to me and family and yet so far in sort of way of understanding the world. And that has to do with her upbringing and uh, her, her fundamental beliefs, for sure. Indeed, her experiences, her you know time and place in the world. But I think mostly it has to do with, you know, the information circles and filter bubbles that we're all existing within and so i'm a little bit removed because i don't bother with like facebook or any of the main culprits um but i mean then again i am putting a podcast out with you know full with with impunity for anyone willing to listen a different type though i mean yeah more output than input that's for sure yeah i mean do you maybe we can start you know, around that area, like, do you have an opinion on, um, on how those filter bubbles are working? I mean, you're, you're active on online using social media. You keep connected with people in various ways. What kind of social platforms are you on? Certainly, certainly I take in a lot. I don't put out a lot like, like a lot of our friends, really a lot of males. Anyway, I find don't really do a lot of posting and like that, but I, I do believe I'm on Facebook and should be, maybe should 
take a page out of your book at some point. Well, sometimes I wonder if I'm missing out, but I, I'm, I'm sure I'm not. I should highlight for whatever reason. I don't know if it's a feature of your mic or um, if it sort of automatically cuts out when you're inactive, but at times there are small snippets. Um, okay. It might be that it's, it's, it's um, not being picked yeah, up. There enough. you go. That's good. Oh, that sounds good. You're coming in hot. It, it's voice activated. So you're coming in hot now. It's not always recording. It will click on and off. And if it's not picking it up correctly, then you let me, let me know. No, you sound great. Um, it's, uh, it's actually amazing to me how well this sort of setup works. Um, you know, people have probably gathered at zoom that I'm using and, and, you know, so long as there's decent audio quality on your end being mm-hmm. pe- picked up and the trend, the internet connection works, it it's, it's surprisingly decent uh, quality. So I was originally thinking it was going to be a lot of work getting, uh, you know, remote interviews underway, but it's probably easier than having to meet in person, certainly while we're distanced because of the pandemic. Less of a engagement though, for sure. If we were in person, I think I would al- almost forget we were being recorded because you have that type of uh, ability to engage me in conversation. And, but in the, in this way, you, you can't have that same presence. I would think. Well, it, it's a different uh, format for sure. Although I, I take your compliment uh, to heart. So thank you for that. I have a, uh, my own um, praises to be singing of yours. Um, I mean, to say the least, I guess we could get out. I haven't mentioned her name specifically, but I've referred to my sweetheart in a number of different <laughs> ways. The love of my life and, um, you know, a variety. He's made an appearance in the last few episodes. Eh? She's been referred to and, uh, you know, I have... Uh, you in a great in a great way um, to thank for having facilitated that relationship indeed I met her at your house maybe we can touch on you know what um, what you recall of of that evening or you know in, in, in as tastefully as you can I just remember you guys being acquainted and kind of flirting at my house and nothing really coming of it that night but then it coming to fruition the next day when you came over to kind of debrief about the whole evening and she was um there with me having takeout or dinner because she comes from out of town um and had to stay at my place and then you guys kind of um re-engaged and then that was the first time you kind of made it known to her that you were interested and it didn't become a relationship then not until not until another um engagement where we we all went to a concert together that's that's when it became official after that right yeah, you're making a reference to Lollapalooza, which has been yeah. discussed. Uh, in Chicago. Yeah, it yeah, was a great trip. Chai Town, that's been a, a subject of discussion already on the show. And uh, so it'll be fun when you come back on and you're able to like be up to speed with the most recent episode and you're kind of mm-hmm. able to refer to what's been going on. But for now, I'm stockpiling content. That was, but we can la- that was August 2019, I believe. Or was it 18? Uh, 17. I think it was as far back as 2017. When is your, we had, when is your anniversary with Natalie then? What year? Um, it would have been January is when we met at your place. Mm-hmm. And that would have been t- 2017. And then so about okay. six months later or so, we, we all went to Lollapalooza together. 17. Wow. I thought, yeah. I thought it was 18, maybe. My mistake. Time flies and we're having fun. So, but enough about my love life. Um maybe you can fill us in a little bit, although f- feel free. I mean, th- that was such a trip. Um, 
uh, in so many ways. I mean, I talk, I, I was chatting a friend uh, on another subject, another episode uh, on the subject of, you know, separating art, art from the artist, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, in, in this age of cancel culture. And, uh, and we talked a lot about Chicago and, you know, he, he's a huge uh, music uh, buff mm-hmm. and, um, anyway, you, you opened my eyes up to a lot of things, uh, not just a lovely lady, but also to a number of, uh, artists mm-hmm. and, uh, and a lot of great experiences, not the least of which was deep dish pizza. Yeah. It was, it was just fun to be in Chicago. See that city is a great city. It, it's a very different time. Now, um, we find ourselves connecting, you know, f- from not that far of a geographical location, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. different different cities, and certainly separated to to some degree. Yeah. Uh, what was I, what was the last travel you ever uh, you were on? Well, I did travel to Alberta, or not? No, I tra- I went out west in September, mm-hmm. and I went to like. Lake Louise did that kind of touristy thing with my girlfriend and her sister. And that was when restrictions were lifted a little bit. I didn't even have to have a COVID test before I went on the plane, but I had to wear a mask. And I think they said that they were spacing people out a certain distance, but to me, it didn't feel like that at all. And that was, I think, September, end of September of last year. And I couldn't imagine doing that now with the way the lockdown has been the past since January. Who I did could, you fly with at that time? The airplane? I mean, the airline or, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it was carried. Air Canada. I think it was yeah. Air Canada. What we, business we, <laughs> did you, did you have out in Alberta? Just trying to enjoy life. Just, just trying to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And I didn't really think it was too, too big of a deal at the time. Um, I, st- I still don't think it'd be too big of a deal for me personally, but if everyone did it, then maybe it wouldn't be the smartest idea. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. Once these vaccines get rolling, maybe maybe it'll be less of a risk. Do you? How do you go about describing your sort of risk appetite as a healthcare provider um, compared to the regular population? I th- I think in terms of my personal appetite, because of my personality, it's quite high, and my age. I'm 31. I I think of myself as quite healthy. I'm more worried about what I would perhaps spread to others than more than myself. Um, I'm pretty cognizant of my own risk for, for spreading. Um, pretty cognizant of my own symptoms. If I were to feel a little better the weather, I think I'd immediately take some precautions since COVID started. I haven't even had a sore throat. I haven't even had a, like a sniffle or like a cold. But I think my appetite for risk in general is high because I, I feel a little bit, you know, too safe from it. But you are a gambling man after all. Yes, that, that is true. It is in my nature. But I wouldn't gamble with other people's health. So, you know, that's why I moved out of my house with my from my older mother. She's in quite good health, but she is 69. And I, we moved out last year in April my sister and I, we were all, we were both living in with her in a large house and COVID was starting to come to our hospital. And I was just like, what's the point of staying here? Um, going to work, coming back, you know, who, who knows 
how easily I could have transmitted COVID if I had gotten it. Mm-hmm. So we moved out and, and uh, we're now living with my girlfriend and her boyfriend. So it's the four of us living together, all of us. Pretty, pretty good health. Is that three or four out of four of you that are in healthcare? Three of four. Mm-hmm. He's in he's in something totally different. Mm-hmm. So give two a, nurses and a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That I was gonna circle back to uh to that. I hadn't thought that your your girlfriend uh, is also yeah. a nurse. So I mean it's mm-hmm. uh, it's coming from a few different angles and uh, maybe give a little bit more context like what your do you are you all taking any extra precautions or what is it like when you have to go visit your mom now being that you're in your own higher risk bubble? I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I like in terms of extra precautions that we take, my sister takes a lot in terms of, she doesn't do anything extra socially. She doesn't see extra people for me. I I see maybe four or five people Mm. plus my household. And then my mom would be extra. Um, when we do see my mom, which is maybe once every few weeks, we don't really take many risks. I mean, uh, precautions. We, we, we don't hug or kiss or anything, but we don't really stay six feet apart. We we don't wear masks or anything like that. You, you didn't it's just, you weren't really hugging or kissing before, as I recall. <laughs> if it were up to her, we would be, but, uh, we would at least hug and like Christmas and new year's had just occurred. So like, obviously we'd be there a lot and. If, if she had her way, we'd be hugging a lot more than I, than we would be. Yeah. I don't mean to make light of, uh, make, you know, light of it, but I guess you have to kind of joke, uh, to some degree. I mean, it is quite a, quite a situation we find ourselves in. If you're not laughing, you're, you're, you're dying. Mm-hmm. It's true, but, but she is a nurse and she knows the risk and it's kind of up to her to tell us what she, what she wants, because she's the one who invites us to her house and, you know, it's it's her call, really. That's your mom you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. There's close- I have other close relatives that um, I haven't seen since COVID started, really. Once or twice, maybe, but I haven't really been to their homes and stuff like that because they are more, you know, wary, for there's, sure. There's a bit of a legacy of healthcare provision in your household now that I think about it. I mean... Yeah, for sure. Th- three generations. Yeah, it's quite uh, quite something. I hadn't That hadn't occurred to me while I was researching and preparing I, for the show. I guess if you count if you count my dad as another generation my mom it's three generations but he was born in the 30s so you kind of should count it as three generations. So are you being tested regularly? Do you take uh, covid tests? How many have you had? I have never been tested, but I've never had a symptom. Um I think that I should be tested more often because I've had multiple patients with covid. Mm-hmm. Um they don't do regular testing at the hospital that I work at. They do it regularly in every nursing home and retirement facility in in town, but not in the hospital. I'm not sure why that is. I know that if I had symptoms and I presented, obviously I'd get tested. I would think that after three or four days with a COVID positive patient ventilated, maybe it would be prudent to, to test your staff. Uh, I don't know. Are you in touch with uh, other nurses? I mean, my... Um... My girlfriend, for example, who you introduced me to is uh, is a nurse. And my little glimpse into this idea of mm-hmm. healthcare, you know, in a very interesting time um, uh, where a pandemic is surrounding me, it's been it's been quite a life lesson uh, in mm. having to do the simple things, hand hygiene, and all things that you take for granted. So how um, 
how in touch are you with other nurses in other areas and how much context can you give us about, you know, the hospital that you're at? I'm in touch with a lot of different nurses, but we, I don't go into specific details of um, their regulations. I know a lot of nurses that I, that work outside of in bigger hospitals do get tested, not regularly, but you know, they have had three or four COVID tests, even without symptoms. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the mentality is or what the data is, why they would be testing all the nurses in a retirement facility regularly. I think it's weekly or biweekly and not testing nurses in critical care facilities. I don't, does, does uh, your girlfriend get tested regularly if she's working? Actually, no. I mean, I think the assumption is that as a healthcare provider, you're, you know, donning and doffing your gowns appropriately and you're just following the protocols and there should be no exposure so long as you're sure. adhering. But but then again, she's also studying at the moment and she's not uh, picking up shifts uh, currently. Mm-hmm. Um, although she was over the, over the holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, uh, you know, important to highlight that uh, I'm talking to you right now. I'm in Toronto, but but you're not. It's not like you're um, exactly in the epicenter at the moment. What's your region like? Uh, how would you describe? Well, the the Leeds and Grenville area is like per capita not good, but the exact city that I'm in is fine in terms of cases. Um, we've had a few cases in in Brockville, but most of them have been transferred from other areas. Smith Falls and Perth a lot. How does it work within the ICU? And uh, are you able to elaborate on transferring of patients, you know, based on resources? So just recently, they kind of had a mandate that all the hospitals, all the ICUs in Ontario have to be upstaffed 10% or some sort of percentage, 10 or 15. So it means creating extra beds in the case that major centers get, you know, overrun so that all these secondary ICUs can accept more patients. In general, we have to accept any patient which a physician says they cannot manage or a hospital says they don't have room to manage. And then they just get kind of sent down the list through the service. And the closest or the most applicable hospital gets called by a service. They say, can you take them? The physician managing that specific unit or most responsible physician has to usually take them or, just, or say they can't for whatever reason. And in a lot of cases, certain hospitals can't manage COVID patients that are, that are being vented. And, and our um, level of hospital is just um, just al- allowed to manage them, basically, based on the resources we have. So there's a lot of smaller hospitals that set would every time they would have a COVID patient decline and have to be ventilated, they would just have to send them to us, basically. So that's how we get most of our COVID positive patients. And since it started, I think I've only had maybe five or six that I've taken care of. I don't know what the total number is that we've had in the hospital. Certainly a lot more, but. In terms of the worst numbers you, you've seen in your relatively, I mean, how would you call yours a small, medium or large size hospital? How would you go about classifying? I'd say, I'd say small, small for sure. And what was the worst compared to now like? You mean the worst in terms of like acuity of the hospital, like how? Yeah, like how critical is the situation at the time of us chatting? I would say it's it's just fine. I'd say right around Christmas and uh, post Christmas, you we do always have like a rush of patients, just because it is winter, just because it is flu season, just because it is cold. We get all these patients that have fallen, that have been shoveling snow, that have um, heart attacks, 
and then you get all the, the flu adding to it and you can get super, super busy. And right now it doesn't even feel like that. It doesn't even feel like um, last year or the year before. So you're currently on days off or you're going in on... Uh... I'm going in on nights tomorrow for four, for four shifts. Right. And what are your hours like? Have, have they increased? Are you collecting all sorts of OT or what's that look like? If I wanted to, I could be, but I, I enjoy my days off. A little bit too much, maybe. You enjoy your self care. Yeah. As far as far as I've known, this is a real shout out to all nurses because uh, you were probably you know one of the earlier ones that I'd ever known um, in a personal life. You know who was professionally a nurse, and uh, man, you guys all know how to party. <laughs> There's a really cool um, podcast that Nat showed me um, where they're all nurses talking about craziest stories and that sort of thing. Do you know which one I'm referring to? I do not know. I'll have to ask her and link it to the show notes. It's okay. a, it's a cool podcast. Is is it like um, conversation form or what kind of, what is it? Yeah. He, uh, I wish I could find it now and refer to it, but I'll show it in text when I look it up. He's um, a nurse. He's in the U S and he's just got different. I think he has, answers questions from twitter and uh, has okay. certain nurse friends on and they talk you know just healthcare stuff and it's a real way of sort of that would be interesting that that would just be like a group of nurses getting together and just chatting eh? yeah it's kind of like what i envision um yeah uh, it's how i envision this project starting out the rex crim show which was discreet you know covert kind of conversations from the inside um, um in my case of the criminal justice system but um anyway here we are digressing. Mm-hmm. So, so um, there's been a sort of a heroism. I wonder what your opinion is lately. I mean, people didn't really have much uh, as much to say, but now, I mean, front of the line for any grocery store or LCBO, I mean, nurses mm-hmm. have been heroic in this, uh, in this time. What, yeah. what has that been like for you? I don't know. I don't really like attention like that very much. I'll certainly take uh, behind the uh, scenes discounts whenever I can. Um, I'll take free coffees. Not that I drink a lot of coffee, but I'll take them and I'll take, you know, I'll take coupons. I'll take whatever, but cutting in front of the line of people. I've never done that. I've never done things like that. I know people that have, and especially if you're in a, in a rush or whatever, I can understand why you would do it, but I don't, I don't have the gall to, to say I'm a healthcare worker. I deserve to be in the front of the line and then look at people in the eye as I walk past them. I just, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's even more honorable. That just has people applauding uh, even all the harder. Yeah. I think like lauding us as heroes is a bit much, obviously in some cases um, people do deserve it, but, uh, and I, and I do think healthcare workers are underappreciated because people don't know the half of it until they've, you know, had a family member die in the hospital and been in there and watching it in, in general. I just, I'm not a fan of too much. Uh, what would the right word be? Hmm. Um, just, just general praise from a community, just because, just be doing your job. Mm-hmm. It, but at the, on the same token, like I say, a lot of nurses don't get the recognition they deserve, and a lot of doctors don't. A lot of other staff in the hospital too that have difficult jobs. There's lots and lots of different workers in the in the hospital that have to deal with difficult situations, difficult patients, oftentimes to no fault of their own lots of mental health that's being dealt with, you know, all shift long and people that, you know, have no idea about it really don't understand what uh, is happening. 
hopefully if you're butting in the front of the line at the local liquor control board uh, of Ontario store, hopefully you're, you know, in such a rush that you're going to save a life and it's not like, you know, you're not taking advantage of. Um, or, or medicate yourself after saving lives, you know. That's more pointy and I'm glad that you went there and, um, you know, I think there's a lot of trauma that's brought, there's a, a dark humor among nurses and there's a lot of. Tra- Very dark. Yeah. Very dark. There's a lot of. Um, stuff to unfold there and um, when you say you know folks don't know the half of it i wonder how you would even go about trying to eludicate for people interested you know what a glimpse on the inside looks like it's tough it's tough to talk about uh especially with someone that i don't i I hate when people do this but like you know you wouldn't understand if you were in it i'm not going to say that but it'd be difficult to have a, a solid dialogue with someone that hadn't been in it and that it probably would be wonderful to see like the nursing podcast, them talk about some of their worst stories. And like, that would be a good way for people to see and perhaps um, get this information in a more comedic light, a little bit lighter because I might say this story and you'll be like, wow, that's heavy. And like, it doesn't come off as, as well talking about, well, leave it, yeah, leave it with me to, to make it, to, to turn it into satire. I mean, I'll, I'll get, I'll get, uh, I'll find the humor in it. I, I, was, I was also going to make a comment like, yeah, nurses have pretty dark humor, but you and like our friend group or our previous friend group, we're, we have pretty dark humor as it is. And a lot of you guys aren't in healthcare and see death on a weekly basis or whatever. Yeah. I mean, certainly the dark humor is uh, prevalent among all sorts of, you know, first responder sort of type. Sure. positions sure. And, i mean there's certainly plenty of uh, gallows humor as they call it in uh, mm-hmm. in in the justice system uh, i mean you're constantly dealing with those same yeah social social determinants of health so you know maybe you can try uh, i know it's uh, it's easier said than done but like some anecdotes um you know that come to mind no no pressure but feel free uh feel free if- well i wouldn't want to get too specific no, i don't think i have the ability to get too specific but definitely went like certain times when an, a death is expected nurses will make light of it they won't they won't say things to well obviously sometimes people will say things that are not in good taste but in general nurses will um not be as serious about it will make small jokes about um things when when death occurs or after like a very very traumatic uh, event Mm -hmm. that's quite you know um difficult to deal with they will make jokes as well to cope with it more sure yeah which um, is completely understandable and and applicable everywhere but we're we're not you know we're not sinking our teeth into the nitty-gritty i i i appreciate that you and i are both confined by certain structures that we have to dance around you know topics Try, I'm regarding trying to think of a, regarding our a good example that's okay it's not it's not necessary i'll i'll keep uh, sure. i'll keep uh, leeching it out of you so to speak <laughs> but i guess uh, what i'm wondering is you know you at the moment are describing a time it's kind of um, leveled off things are relatively stable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there was ostensibly a more critical time and uh, where yeah. stress was higher so sure. how did you go about uh, did you notice um, in terms of like self-care or any self-observation how you were blowing off that extra stress or um you know how would you describe the the extra stress payload so to speak i don't um, i don't think that i had too much extra stress 
I had a lot of extra stress from other people I was working with and perhaps the, you know, everyone around me. I didn't feel to stress myself. Maybe when I was going into work, I was a little bit more concerned, a little bit like maybe how I felt when I was first nursing, like that little bit extra anxiety, that little bit extra um, thinking about what's going to be, you know, in the unit, what I'm going to have to deal with. But in general, I remember thinking when we were like in the thick of it and we had like a very, very busy unit, maybe a couple COVID positive vents. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, this isn't as stressful to me as I thought it might've been. Though with nothing really to be able to do, no travel, not a lot of friends to see, I, I definitely started drinking a lot more. And I think, I guess I would say that's what I was doing. If I, if I would have to give you an answer, yeah. a, a negative uh, coping mechanism. But the gambling uh, has stayed consistent. Yeah, but uh, no, can't go to the casinos anymore. Can't go to Vegas. No, no gambling to really be done. You've probably missed about two trips to Vegas by now. Yeah, I was definitely thinking once things subside, like where I'd be going first. Vegas kind of comes to mind, but it, that's also a difficult trip to make. I remember when they opened up Vegas early and like they had that explosion of cases down there. Like I think it was last year just seemed like such a dumb idea and like casinos such close proximity people touching everything people drinking to excess everywhere and then your inhibitions are gone who cares right yeah it's very very bad situation well that's a good segue into my next thought i'm wondering you know oh i love to reminisce on vegas and uh, and travel we could go on that for hours but to try to keep on some theme um you know obviously going to a casino touching chips as you say you know inhibitions lost you're that's just a pathogen's wet dream mm-hmm. pun intended so for those who have no idea i mean there's some our friend greg for example who's in uh, it you know he works exclusively from home since you know perfect like, yeah a lot of people, at least I'm still facing, you know, members of the public and you're even more um, invasive, uh, if that's the right term. I mean, you're even more intimate with your patients. Mm-hmm. How do you describe the protocols and your day-to-day like procedures? Like try to just explain the precautions you're taking once entering the hospital or exiting the hospital and, you know, the thought processes that you're going through and trying to maintain, you know, sanitation. So before I go into the hospital, they screen you, they ask you all the questions. Obviously I'm wearing a mask, hand sanitizer on the way in. I go inside, I change my mask. I change my clothes, not my, all my clothes, but my outer layer and then hand sanitize um, another mask. If the patient is on any precautions, I put all the PPE on, usually at least a mask and gloves, if not a gown or more, if they're either been COVID tested, they're suspected anything, then it's like a visor gown. And then if they're for some reason creating um, aerosolized, then you have to wear the N95. So if they're having any high amounts of oxygen, or if they're, even if they're like a violent cougher, then you'll you wear the N95 for sure. Are you? And then once. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I've got to learn to uh, take my turn. But then once I leave the hospital, I will be screened again, change my mask before I go again, and then I'll change my clothes. And if I had been with a patient who I'm concerned about or is positive for COVID, then I'll take a shower and change my clothes for sure. 
at work or this is when you're getting home? I usually do it at home now, but if, if it's a COVID positive patient, I might do it at work. But now that it's winter, I've, I've definitely been shying away from showering at work. I don't really like to do it. Are you then going in and out of, I mean, I've, I've heard of um, more intensive situations, you know, in Toronto here and in the GTA where Nats worked and, um, you know, there are typically some COVID patients. I guess you haven't seen any for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, if not, if not longer. Yeah. But when there was, when there is a COVID patients and you're having to enter that area, um, I mean, what's it like taking items in and out of that room? Like, um, how do you describe the threshold between, you know, potential infected area and sanitized so, spot? So usually like we have a closed sliding glass door. Pretty much I bring everything in the room that I'm going to need for the entire shift. Nothing leaves besides my person and like my clothes. Every, and like the, the visor I take out and I clean, take the gloves off in the room, take the gown off in the room. Um, my mask comes out, stays just outside the room. And then I try not to go in, you know, multiple times, accomplish as much as I can go in. If it's a vented patient, go in every hour, every two hours and do everything I need to do kind of thing. And then obviously once I get out of the room, good hand hygiene and then um, usually switch my mask, leave the, a dedicated mask to go into the room with and come out. Have you got family members at all visiting or do you, are you having to negotiate with that traffic at all or has that been just shut down? Yeah, it's like, it's like a gray area. So the, and with, with all regulations it, within the hospital, they're changed. They, they change so often, but um, if the patient is actively dying or actively very declining, they'll, they'll have family members allowed in. And depending on the manager that's on at the time, they might have some wiggle room with how many, how long they can stay. But if they're COVID positive, they, the family cannot come in and see them. I've, I've had one case where they were COVID positive and the family was allowed in, but I think they've stopped that. And yeah, I'm pretty sure they've stopped that because it's just too much risk to be letting someone come in and just uh, without properly fitted for an N95 and things like that. And, but if they're COVID negative, even then, you don't let visitors come in except for one hour on specific days and very limited, lots of restrictions. Can't bring, can't bring food in, um, have to wear all, a mask at all times, have to wear, I think usually have to wear full PPE to go in to see the patient. Mm-hmm. And then for a long time, it was no visitors at all, which I think was probably for the best, as bad as it was for the patients are, and more so their families, peace of mind. When this was uh, first breaking uh, the pandemic, you know, um, the, the question was being asked, you know, do you know anyone with it? And um, eventually in our office, there was someone who, uh, who had it and they, you know, they recovered fine. And, um, but subsequent to that, people outside of my profession, you know, were saying, well, they were doubting this idea, still asking, well, I've, I've still not met anyone with that's had COVID, you know, it doesn't seem quite, uh, you know, I, 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 there are, there were people that had no firsthand experience with it. Obviously you've met people with COVID. Have you seen anyone uh, that has, hasn't made it, you know, because of COVID? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think three or four, yeah, three or four passed away and two recovered. 
that I had personally cared for. I've heard of more that um, from uh, coworkers that were in there, but the three or four that passed away were going to probably die whether they had COVID or not. They were quite sick individuals. One of them was kind of on the border. Maybe they could have come through if they didn't have COVID. It's hard to say. And not that they were super old. One of the patients was in their 60s, but they had multiple types of cancer and multiple like organ fail- failures. And then they had COVID. When there's the when there's those sort of concurrent matters, you know, and and in a pandemic, I, I think one of the criticisms I've heard is that it's often recorded, you know, in the statistics. It's yes, like, well, yes. COVID was. There. What's your opinion on that? It's a it's a gray area, right? Because it's hard to make the argument one way or the other. You know, it's not black or white because there's there will there will be cases where COVID would weaken your immune system or your immune system would be weak. And then that's the only reason you got COVID and then COVID would do increased damage. Um, But like you say, there are those cases where the patient was on death's door and then about to die. And then they tested positive for COVID. So it's though in those situations, those are just um, people inflating the numbers, but oftentimes inflating the numbers for perhaps the right reasons to acquire more funding and if they feel that their hospital needs more funding to function effectively. And the only way to do that is to let them know that this patient had COVID before they died, calling it effectively a death due to COVID, which may or may not be uh, totally um, true. Accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's true, but it's not exactly the whole truth. And sure. uh, it's, it's a good uh, example of why, um, what is the expression? Uh, statistics lie and liars configure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's the other question you're asking me about disinformation and how easily it's um, found on social media and how easily it's believed perhaps by certain people. And in this, during this time, that's, that's definitely the name of the game, just tons of information being sent out, tons of anecdotal stories. And then we have everyone in the States having their own um, individual stories about what's going on in their state and what's being done to them. And you're hearing all these things and you don't really know what's exactly true and what to believe. And it's a tough, it's a tough situation for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things you said, um, and I should mention, you know, if you want to take a quick break, pee break or grab a beverage or anything like just say so. I was going to ask you, what have you been doing? Have you you been pausing or just monologuing on your own? uh, We just, uh, we agreed to, you know, we talk about it. And then at a certain point we just say, okay, We'll be right back and then i snip at that out and we're okay we're right where we started so we'll just keep it rolling and uh do your thing okay did you have anything pressing to no no we can come back we're, we can come back I, I have a question that i want to uh, pick up from but you do your thing and i'll see you back in a few minutes i'll be like one minute okay i'll be right back i'll wait here i gotta make sure my guest is comfy cozy i'm actually only having um a sparkling water and still having my dinner it's been busy you know running a podcast and working nine to five and uh living the dream what's what's on the menu tonight uh we're having turkey and by we by we i'm referring to myself in the third person i guess damn i mean i'm in the city alone um this week and uh was uh, out of the city where i stay with my lovely lady friend i should say our lady friend she is my friend she was your friend first she was she was. And then I had to pick up and move across uh, province just to be near to her uh, after things, you know, after we escalated, after things escalated from Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. So are we, we should hit that back up. Uh, I feel like we're not quite done. 
yet on that subject, but we were getting into the, we were getting into some good, you know, material that anyone on the outside of healthcare would be interested in knowing, but there's also a need to give context into who the producer and person behind the Rex Krim show is, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, feel free to jump in on personal anecdotes as much as we'll chat about, you know, work-related ones. But I did want to ask you, you know, you took for granted going into the hospital each day for your shift, you know, you're like, well, I go in and use a hand sanitizer into the questions. I've got my mask on, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not exactly obvious for, for some people. I mean, speaking of ideology and, and my mother earlier, God love her when this all broke out. Um, you know, if you were following her on social media, you might have seen anti-mask um, um, propaganda posts. <laughs> and Yeah, that might be a better term. What does she so believe? Needless, what was uncovered in your interview with her? Well, we we stuck most to the idea of gender. I mean, you could, you know, it, 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 we had to limit it in some way. But um, I mean, if you and I are going to get into the idea of vaccines and anti-vaccine, I, I do that. I'm curious, genuinely, because I have been sort of on the fence and need to better educate myself. Um, but, you know, if we're going to talk about anti-vax, it seems like we should start with anti-mask. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so pointing out my dear mom, who I love, you know, is just a means of showing how close to home um, polarization is really hitting and causing, you know, people to have vastly different perspectives. So needless to say, I think you're, we're taking for granted the fact that you're not working with any nurse colleagues or healthcare providers that are anti-mask. Not publicly, that's for sure. Not even publicly enough to tell friends, you know, I'm sure people are think some of them, not some of them. I'm sure there are employees at the hospital that perhaps think that some of this isn't needed, whether or not to what degree they think that I'm, I have no idea, but yeah, no one that I speak to tells me anything near that, but they, they definitely know how I think. So they might not be able to voice those opinions. Um, for fear of being chastised at least a little bit. So in terms of getting our bias and prejudice out in, on the table, I mean, you're, you're uh, emphatically for masks and think that they serve a purpose. Yeah. Well, even if they don't, there's, there's not really that much negative. I mean, besides my personal Liberty, which uh, is being infringed upon. Apparently. I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd make the argument that people with glasses have it way worse with masks and, um, I still don't think they're that big of a deal, especially for when you have symptoms or you're worried about yourself. Like people in Asia have been doing it for many, many years. If they go out and they have any type of symptoms, they wear a mask. If they're in a especially close area, a subway, they wear a mask. And it's just good sense. Um, It is a new social type of situation you know to wear it to not wear it when to wear it how, how often to wear it uh the types of masks to wear the all these types of things are coming into you know the view but there's there's almost no argument that would say mask is going to be a negative thing there are those people that say they can't breathe with it on um, they have allergic reactions to them or whatever they try to get but there's no there's no truth to any of that, really. Who? What do I hear as someone making a snack or causing a sneeze? Is that your uh, your sister's your brother-in-law? I think I think that's my my brother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that you know, having that's a sneeze. It. I mean, this is the joys of uh, close confinement during a pandemic. I guess I wanted to ask uh, 
about you know differing opinions between brother and sister and doctor and nurse i think that's an interesting dichotomy Mm. Uh, where do you see yourselves in that scenario well my sister is a little bit less risk adverse than i am to start off and then secondarily she has optics which she needs to worry about that i don't she's a physician she's part of a practice she sees patients who she Yes, I'm in a professional relationship with my patients as well. And I have, you know, some sort of power over them, but she has a more professional relationship with them. They come in to see her and they expect certain things of her. Um, so it's got to the point where she will follow all the rules set out and then do more because she's concerned about um, the optics of our neighbors, our friends and her colleagues. Whereas I couldn't care less about that. And I will do pretty much whatever I want within, you know, the regulations of the law. Lockdown was recently lifted and she still doesn't really want to see people or have people come to the house or have a group of people come. It was her boyfriend's birthday five days ago and she, and they wanted to come over and have a little bit of a celebration for them. And she said, I'm not comfortable. So she definitely um, goes above and beyond um, the restrictions mm. set forth and she feels bad about it too she, we had a long discussion about it uh, at dinner she felt quite bad and he said you know I want you to be comfortable I want you to be happy who cares it's just a birthday I, I don't get that bent out of shape over a birthday I'm not I'm not like you like you know but yeah I wasn't sure where to go uh where to go next I, I it was <laughs> so um you were doing so well I I thought it, you know, we only needed to, this was turning into a one man band. No, I'm, I am being silly. I was waiting for you to, to interject. And then you just kind of, I had uh, notes that I was keeping track of. Um, I was um, using pen and paper, but traditionally I, I have my laptop and I just kind of jot down things as I go. But, um, but um, you know, we were, we were on about masks and we know we're going towards the idea of anti-vax. But I was curious sure. about, you know, the perspective of doctor and nurse, and that must be an interesting dynamic in the household. I think we have very similar opinions, and we read and follow the same type of things. But yeah, I'm going to a hospital where I'm dealing with a certain type of clientele who don't really have a say in or an idea of what I do outside of work. And her clientele live in town most of the time, perhaps live down the road. And, you know, gets into a lot of different situations. And then she works with many other doctors who also work nine to five and live in town. So, and she's a new physician as well, just joined the practice. So she's even more concerned about how things are looking. So that's the main reasons why there's such a big difference. But in general, I think our outlook is very similar. I mean, I... I guess at the heart of it to an earlier point of the discussion between religion and science with my mom, you know, I, I, we're not really talking you and I about uh, belief versus like knowledge. I mean, the, yeah, you're... I don't really come into the belief. We're, we're not in like a gray zone with this type of stuff. This is pretty, pretty cut and dry factual type things. Like, yeah, there could be a discussion about how much risk versus how much um, will it affect our, you know, quality of life perhaps that would be a nice you know thing to debate but like in terms of actual efficacy of these things that we're doing like it's pretty clear that 
it's safer to do all these things and i don't just believe it you know it's it's pretty pretty proven science earlier you made reference to disinformation and that suggests to me you know that it's being inserted um intentionally to provide you know a false um narrative if you will as opposed to misinformation which is you know a lack of understanding which i'm guilty of when it comes to uh to vaccines certainly but on the topic of masks just sticking with that for a second i mean there does seem to be a great deal of individuals i've observed at least who are misinformed i mean how do you explain you know when to wear a mask versus the sort of six foot rule i mean how do you distinguish those things i mean in general i would say it's always safer to wear a mask if you are concerned six feet doesn't really matter too much if you're staying in within six feet for hours and hours that's not that safe um especially if you're not within a bubble with each other you're just meeting up randomly and you're spending a, any length of time together, I don't think the six feet is really that mm-hmm. safe. Um, and then secondarily, like if you're very, very close with each other and wearing masks, still not that guaranteed that, you know, if one of you was positive for anything, you couldn't pass it to each other. Certainly wouldn't if you had the flu and you were coughing or doing anything that could tr- transmit those that bacteria or that virus i should say um a mask particles can go out the sides and go on stuff and if you're eating drinking or doing anything of that nature in right afterwards or right before and you have saliva this seems like you know basic stuff i think perhaps you and i are maybe taking for granted uh, i'm assuming that i have to it's likely that people that are listening into this if they're continue consenting to uh to continue to listen to this conversation i mean possibly they disagree i assume everyone's in agreement at this point but there's still some misunderstanding as far as i'm aware when i'm walking outside for example and i see someone who's like you know out for a jog wearing wearing Mm. a mask uh um or am i mistaken i don't know what's your opinion on that depends on you know, how many people they think they're going to be running into if they're going to be stopping at a stoplight or or going inside and there'll be people inside and they just want to have it on already. But also jogging in the winter, like a mask is kind of nice if it's a cold day. Some, Touche. Some, some of these really cold days when I step outside and the wind is piercing my my forehead, I'm like, wow, this mask is kind of nice. Like, like I would on a really cold day with a full balaclava. Fair enough. Well, well. But in, in, in the heat of summer though running with a mask on yeah that's a harder decision to make for sure like if you're if you're generally alone then who who are you protecting you know, I, I guess I that's know. what i'm trying to get at is the idea of you know protecting yourself versus others and you alluded to personal liberty earlier um but a, a thing a theme that i've been uh, trying to make sense of in earlier episodes is you know, there's all this talk of individuals' rights. That's something we hear mm. a lot of in the States, but there's not much um, counter to the idea of personal or social responsibility. So, mm. you know, what does a mask do? I mean, who is it for? If you have symptoms, it's for it's for everyone else. If you don't, I'd say it's 50-50. Mm-hmm. If you're on a subway, I'd say it's more for you. Mm-hmm. If you have no symptoms and you think you're healthy. Right. But if you're if you're jogging outside, 
I don't know. I'd say it's maybe 50-50. Where do you think, I mean, now we're getting a little bit silly maybe, but at a certain point, I think at least the mask is sort of a social signal, you know, that we're sort of all in this together. Um, do you have an opinion on that or am I, am I rambling? I would say in a different vein, if you don't wear the mask, you're kind of saying, I don't, uh, I don't believe what you, everyone else does that uh, is wearing those masks. If you're in a situation where you're, you're the only one not wearing one, for sure, or one of the few that isn't, you're kind of making a statement. Yeah. Because what's the problem with wearing it in general? Because we had the same discussion whenever there's a government regulation. It's always the mm-hmm. same. Seatbelts are the same. Yeah. Why are we wearing this? Who is it? Who is it affecting? I don't want to wear it. And seatbelts don't save other people's lives. They only save yours. There's no pub there's no um yeah public outcry of you're you're hurting more than just yourself it's just your life you're just dead and people were saying it's constricting that's uncomfortable that it's probably not even that safe and they're just doing this because they feel their liberties are being taken away but maybe it is being taken away but it's it's for the better of all of us mm-hmm. there's other examples that are good as well um that don't that don't come to mind. We're cutting to the 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 crux of it. I mean, I like that uh, I like that you're able to narrow it down with that analogy. I mean, a seatbelt's a good way of putting it, but a seatbelt does seem rather a personal responsibility for your own welfare. Although there are implications for others, I guess. In, in short. not directly though, indirectly. Indirect, fair enough. Yeah. Where a mask is directly related, and people still didn't want to wear seatbelts, and it was just. You know, I mean, they still made an argument that they shouldn't have to wear them. Mm-hmm. And it was it was even less of a um, an effect on others. Is that something that you've ever seen, like um, being in you know small town Brockville? Uh, I wonder if, you know, there's much of that country bumpkin sort of rural mentality. Um, I mean, I've seen enough of it just in the city. And in fact, I know of a case uh, recently where. He was, you know, charged by police because there was there was other factors there. But he basically went into a retail environment. You know, they said you need to have a mask on. And he goes f you and carries on, and you know, is not willing to wear a mask and not willing to comply at all. Yeah, I think I've heard anecdotally of something like that happening around in town, and then he was, yeah, fine, charged. I mean, probably just charged with trespassing because he was asked to leave and he wouldn't. Um, I don't think they had regulations in place at the time for like for the masks. But I mean, if you're entering a private store and they ask you to, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service, no mask, the same type. Yeah. Get the hell out. Yeah. I mean, what, what's you not wearing shoes hurt anybody? You know, a shirt might be more of a social thing. You know, what's the problem with not wearing shoes if you want to walk barefoot, but like a mask could be a problem for people in a close, small little store. But I I think that's more people just trying to make a statement or just, yeah, being um, big above every everybody else kind of thing are you familiar at all with the saga involving adamson barbecue in toronto and the display mildly familiar i most recently heard that he was a white supremacist have have you heard that as well no that was a uh i hadn't heard that tag but it seems it seems uh, fitting with the way the internet uh, circulates misinformation 
I heard, I've heard it from a pretty reliable anecdotal source that he was also involved in a white supremacist group, but I'd have to, I'd have to check my own facts. Well, I, I think that's a worth, you know, delving into a little more deeply. I should clarify, you know, when I say that I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised uh, either way. Oh, certainly from the, I have looked at a little bit and read some, some of the articles and from what I do know, he, there's certainly, um, there's certainly a movement among, you know, far reaching right on the political spectrum. I mean, this is sort of the alt right, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, that's, uh, that's necessary to highlight. I think when it comes to uh, you're given the, you're given the eyebrows to someone, I think. Yeah. Yep, yep. Long story short, I'm, I'm getting at this idea of, uh, of politics and, you know, I don't know if he is a white supremacist. That's interesting. But I do know the latest story I read was that the city of Toronto had turned around and billed him for, um, you know, several hundred thousand dollars for the display that had gone on. And consequently, you know, public officials, including police, having what, to what, attend. Oh, so he got like a police bill and like a like a, fi- a fine, a couple of fines. Yeah, the bo- what, what? well, like the police bill was like, I don't want to misspeak here, but it's, you know, more than a hundred thousand dollars. I think it was like $160,000 just for the police. And then others, that was the most expensive, but the, the public mm-hmm. health board basically having to respond to this disorder. Um, it's quite a controversial sort of topic because on the one hand, these are new orders. People are having to adjust. Um, there are civil penalties there. There are, you know, potentially mm. criminal penalties there as well. I mean, how do you think the way about incentivizing compliance, so to speak, or what's the best way to go about, you know, disseminating the useful information about the topic? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have a, a good answer because we've been in this culture of everyone has a voice. Information so easily gathered and spread and received that. It's just been a kind of a free-for-all for, you know, since social media has became very popular. Essentially, the internet kind of exploded and like everyone just has has a voice. They have a soapbox and every everyone's opinions ma- matters as long as, you know, you can be entertaining mm-hmm. is, is the main thing and keep people's uh, engaged. But as a point of clarity, I, you, earlier you were talking about, you know, maybe some hospital staff being less trusting of the whole mask like secretly in the closet they maybe don't necessarily believe in the science or don't you know have an appreciation for the for for the the medical sort of consensus Uh, i think you're alluding Mm -hmm. to staff that are not necessarily they're like porters or people that are not necessarily in the health in general maybe but i i'm sure i'm sure there are nurses and maybe even doctors that based on how many cases they've seen, based on how uh, critical they've been, based on all these anecdotal things, perhaps based on their own political views or, you know, a plethora of all these things, think that it's being blown out of proportion, which depending on who you're listening to, which province you live in, it may be being blown out of proportion. But in general, I'm sure they, certain people do have their own opinions. Well, let's let's talk specifically about your opinion. I mean, you're more informed about it. You're at the front, you've got a front row seat to arguably some of the travesty and trauma that comes with, with this new virus. Mm -hmm. 
how do you, how do you think is uh, the most reasonable way to go about conducting yourself? I mean, weigh in on the topic of closing down businesses and that sort of thing. Yeah, I wanted to comment on that because I don't think that that's the right way to go about it just for long-term um, economical impact. Because I, I think if like they've shown that they can close down all businesses with impunity, they've shown that like that they have that power and it, and it come, happens swiftly. So it's very easy to just put very, very strict regulations on all businesses and then threaten them with permanent closure at the worst. And then in earlier strikes, like long-term closures, and then businesses will have to remain vigilant. And I think our economy long-term is going to take too, too many hits if you just across the board close everything and leave open Walmart, LCBO, McDonald's. It's going to be too detrimental to our economy and to, to the population. In, in my mind, the, uh, the mom and pop shops are certainly, you know, I've made a concerted effort when I'm buying things in Toronto lately, you mm. know, to maybe not elect to choose Amazon and avoid yeah. Walmart. You know, I never difficult. thought about it's it. Difficult. It's a really difficult discussion or a difficult decision. Well, I guess so. It's a difficult decision and it's just a really strange situation where everyone finds themselves holding a tiny piece of responsibility that collectively can affect change, but you know, only if you do it collectively. I mean, now we should get into the topic of GameStop. I mean, uh, on, uh, on the idea of collective action, surely you're following it's all, travesty. all of that. How so? Robin Hood is a travesty, uh, not allowing people to uh, purchase it and not allowing people to um, short the shorters, basically. Uh, they shut down all buying of GameStop. They only allowed people to sell and that plummeted the stock to help the hedge funds that were shorting it. Um, it's a travesty that they're allowed to do that without any, any issues. Hopefully something comes in terms of regulation or, I mean, that lack, you know, um, consequences for what they did. They're not going to have any business, that's for sure, because they've touted themselves as um, the investment app for the little guy. And they clearly have shown that that's not the case. And now that now people have come out and said that the main way they make their money is by selling data to hedge funds. I don't know if you've heard about that. I haven't. And I, I imagine like clearly we've hit a chord here where we're talking about something now that you're finally passionate about. I mean, you do the nursing thing um, just for money, but now we're, we're talking about something that you thoroughly enjoy. Well, I, I don't, I don't day trade. I don't really invest because it's just too much time and it's too emotional. And I definitely lose money if I was trying to follow trends and buy and sell and buy and sell. But I obviously follow Reddit a lot and I follow social media and I kind of followed this when it was getting popular and I've, and I didn't buy or anything, but as soon as they um, started posting that you can't buy GameStop stock, it was like, what? Like you're, you're, you're telling in a free market, you're telling us what we can and can't buy. This is uh getting into like, kind of like a, like a weird, uh, it's the right word. I want to say totalitarianism, but that's not quite the right word. But you're touching on this chord that's totally germane to earlier conversations I've had about, um, you know, akin to uh, the former U.S. president. Um, you know, the the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, w- I as I've said before, you know, it took the U.S. government two attempts, and they couldn't even. 
um, get him, so to speak, but Twitter was able to shut him off overnight. So there's this idea of like censorship that you're alluding to who's what, you know, what forces are really um, at play in governing uh, yeah. the world order. Yeah. It's, it's just a travesty. Like you can't just artificially stop letting people buy something because um, something negative is happening to a certain group of people when they made those decisions themselves. And the only person that's going to benefit is those people. I understand when they say they didn't have enough money to cover all the the stuff like the losses that were going to be taken, but there's other ways you can come up, you can handle that without you know not letting someone buy a stock that they want to purchase with their own money. You think they sort of succumb? It's pretty obvious that they that they got pressure from the hedge funds, and uh, yeah. the CEO came out and said that he did not, and it was like it seemed pretty silly. You're sort of rolling your eyes like there's an utter disappointment. Yeah, it, it, it was it was dumb. It was he he seemed very very guilty, and it was kind of like uh, just a, a very political, um, politicized statement just to just to come out and outwardly deny all allegations. Which um, platform do you opt for now, if not Robinhood? Um, is there any that you that you like? I I don't personally day trade, so I I just recommend any but. Any but them, maybe Quest Trade or your your uh, your own personal bank that's that sells you um, stock and stock options and stuff. At, at, at the ten dollar commission on the front and the back end, that, I don't know. That's why you don't you know make lots of trades. You buy and you hold, baby. That's true. You're you're so right. And um, you know we're getting off topic, or maybe we're finally getting on topic. But is there any uh, any particular tickers that you want to throw out there? hoping to toot the horn for or what i do not follow stocks enough to be able to do that but crypto is definitely definitely going up there and it seems like it's going to be eventually the way of the future so i've definitely been thinking about buying some but i um you know i come off i I take this sort of high and mighty um position lately suggesting that i'm not on social media at all but i uh i've been on reddit more than i'd like to admit lately i've been um what are the main subreddits that you've been frequenting? Well, getting this project on the off the ground um, led me to subscribe to a few, um, you know, podcast um, groups. Um, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but then I was interested in. Um, I, I have a keen interest. I think that you know the psychedelic uh, sector is going to be taking off, and so I'm watching stocks and discussions about different stocks there quite closely. Um, you can hear me oh i lost you for a second yeah i lost you as well can you hear can you hear me now now you sound great i was i was just asking are you subscribed to r slash ents e-n-t-s what is that it's a, a marijuana positive subreddit i believe oh interesting which psychedelic subreddits are you uh familiar with um there's one called shroom stocks i think there's another one all for mind med investors if you're familiar with that company at all um, just many, many of the main stocks that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, um, you so, know, so do you, do you daily trade then if you're keeping an eye on stocks? I'm keeping an eye on them. I'm not exactly trading them. I, I, I had one stock. Um, I'm, I have two right now that I'm invested in. One of them has been halted actually by the BC, uh, government uh, okay. trading is halted because there was some disclosure issues, um, regarding one of them uh, that was champion brands and that's sort of before the commission at the moment 
Um, and then the other is MindMed, which I'm interested in, but I, I'm sort of deciding on another. Um, there's another one or two that I'm keen on. There's an ETF that's out there and I, I'm just interested in diversity. Is this, is this like a more for fun hobby with some mild, um, no, to be clear, this- to be clear, I come from the position, you know, and, and my brother is in banking and he, you know, advises me accordingly. And I am of the view that this is a, a medium to long um, position, you know, this is not a short position. Okay. I expect in the next call it three to five, certainly in 10 years, you know, this, this will, uh, I don't know if balloon is the right term, but I, I'm, I'm expecting there is some growth, a well overdue need for some, you know, catalyst in, in, in uh, 21st century psychiatry. And I think that psychedelics might very well be it. Okay. Okay. So, you know, we could circle back to the, uh, the, the mental health and unrest and angst and depression that I think will just be exasperated by the pandemic. Sure. My argument for you would be if it's a, if it's a buy and hold position, you shouldn't be following it as much um, in terms of the actual stock prices, because emotions can cause you to make poor decisions and you should stick to your first gut instinct, which is to hold. And then the stock price doesn't matter really. Um, if you see huge dips and then you see explanations for the dips, those heartstrings will pull on you and, and tell you to do problematic things, unless you're going to tell me that if you see a dip, you're going to buy more and then maybe stick to your guns and, uh, do what, do what you should do. That's very affirming. And I take that, uh, I take that your point is absolutely taken. I I am guilty of, um, riding that wave and it is an emotional roller coaster Mm -hmm. seeing a a day that you perform well versus a day that you don't. And it is gambling in a way, but it's an informed type of gambling. And, and I think I'm, uh, certainly, you know, taking a longer position. I've given it lots of thought. And I think the reason I'm watching the stocks is because I'm deciding, where to diversify sure, next, sure. but, um, but I need to, I, I do need to give it up and, and limit myself because I have a tendency to check it more often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. That's the, that's the other thing that I worried about myself is getting too obsessed with checking things, trying to find um, inconsistencies in markets and like thinking I can beat, you know, the, everyone else. Like it's just, it's just a bad um, way to think for sure. And bad habit to get into. Um, but at the same time, I don't have a position like you do. That's very interesting to hear. Yeah. It's, I, I, I would, I would love to hear more about it maybe another time, because I'm sure we could get deep into why you think that this is going to explode. And yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, further on that topic is just, you know, I see the utter need. Um, there's just, just such a profound need for, um, wellness there's a movement for for you know for for well-being and um there's a lot of distrust right now for sort of pharmaceutical uh Mm -hmm. institutional responses that frankly haven't worked very well in the last hundred years or so and there's a need for a breakthrough and um and the initial science that's uh that's showing in the market is um is worth worth exploring I'm, I'm putting my money where my mind is so to speak and uh and that's how i see it but um the key thing will be will be timing and um regulations by country yeah for that reason i'm mostly interested in uh in canadian-based 
um, companies. I think that that will be first to regulate, but, but you're right. There should be a basis of a more in-depth conversation, maybe off the record or maybe a whole other episode by itself. Sure. Sure. Uh, Because yeah, go ahead. No, no, you please. I'm doing it again. I was going to say, if we had that full discussion, I'd be definitely, I might reconsider my own uh, decisions and have to maybe invest myself because, because I do agree with you, but I have, I know nothing about the companies or about the regulations. And those are the things that I'd have to be informed about mm-hmm. by, by you at a later date. Sure. Well, for the time being, um, I'll send you some tickers and you can keep, keep <laughs> get, get, a, get a taste for that day trading uh, again, baby. But we'll, we'll see. Day trading uh, for the long term, if that makes sense at all. I want to hit on, uh, you know, Reddit linger there for just a second longer you know so i've been going down the deep dark rabbit hole that is these types of social media i don't even know what i mean when i say that term i say i gave up social media but i mean i still use email and go on youtube so yeah different type different type for sure if it's just youtube and reddit and email it's uh very different from facebook instagram twitter for sure agreed and so there's some distinction to be made there um when I'm on Reddit, though, in another episode, and I've been talking about this lately on uh, on the Rex Crim show, which is about fostering a space for kind of controversial ideas and um, and being able to to just discuss uh, contemporary philosophy, hopefully in finding divergent perspectives and and making sense of it. And you know, on the topic of things that I think will do well in, in in our near future. I think podcasting is a good example because unlike Twitter, which limits you to so many characters and the mm-hmm. and the the lack of you know the snippet type right. social media interaction, podcasts are that long form uh, format uh, that give everything, including context and circumstance. Sure. And that and that's that's the distinction I make in, in making sense of why I'm doing the Rex Crim show after all, after a long break from the regu- you know, the main uh, social media points. What I'm trying to get at is that I've fallen down this rabbit hole and I've been keen on 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 joining some darker Reddit subreddits, okay. uh, if that's if, that, if that's the right lingo. And I'm getting to this idea of the incel culture, which oh. I've talked about on this show, <laughs> and I'm keenly keenly interested in getting on Jeepers. a uh, getting on a someone you know who identifies with the incel community, or maybe even better, someone that's that was once an incel and, and, uh, and, uh, and has since come out, I, you know, but I've been enthralled with the whole lingo and indoctrination that goes on. And to the point that I said, Oh my God, I have to almost stop following these reddits because they're, they're the toxic they're, for sure. They're toxic, toxic to say the least. And um, anyway, I built up the courage to try to comment on one because I was coming, you know, wanting to say, hey, come on the Rex Grimm show. Let's talk. I want to hear your perspective. You know, this could be a really interesting chat and I'm genuinely interested mm-hmm. also because I think, you know, I was a late bloomer, as I've mentioned, and yep. I, I think I easily could have, you know, fallen into the category, although I didn't adopt that ideology, but yeah. I could have yeah. called myself an incel for more years than I would have liked to have uh, admitted. Yeah. We were all incels once, that's for sure. Yeah. If well, if you, yeah, I guess I don't personally ascribe to that identity, but we're all incels once, uh, factually. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Involuntarily celibate. Um, yeah, being yeah a, a threshold that everyone has to find. Being being fifteen to seventeen, wanting to find 
love in all the wrong places for sure. It was, it's an identity that, you know, 90% of us can relate to. Depending on when, in fact, you lost your virginity. Sure. One lost their virginity. The, the age, the age is, you know, not, not important. Even the topic of virginity itself, talking about that, like it's a thing, um, you know, I think it's just borrowed from an old Victorian epoch and sure. myopic view on sexuality generally anyway. Sure. But what I'm trying to say is that on Reddit, I was uh, trying to connect with someone. And of course, I'm so new on Reddit that I didn't have enough points to post on their, really? on their subreddit. Yeah. So I have to, I'm so new that I'm trying to like collect karma points or whatever the whatever the hell that entails. Uh, so I'm, I'm reaching out to my friends who are active and, and encouraging them to anyone listening who knows an incel or wants to uh, <laughs> contribute intellectually on this show, feel free to email me at rexcrimshow at gmail.com. It could be uh, an interesting episode, but that's my shameless plug. Sure. It would be. I haven't really been keeping up with their culture or what they've been doing recently, but I remember when they were just, becoming popular and people like joseph joe rogan and uh jordan peterson were talking about them quite a bit and their outlook on life how detrimental it would it is to you know males as a gender and you know society as a whole and how we we need to help them we need to build them up we need to teach them you know guess proper values um, how to live your life, how to build yourself up. And I remember when I listened, when I read Jordan Peterson's book, it was basically written for incels, basically. That's basically what it was. In a lot of ways, uh, you know, you're describing lessons that you bestowed upon me. You were a, a wingman and someone that in certain ways took me under your wing, showed me the ropes, so to speak. Well, I've had, I've had a lot of experiences that you hadn't when we first became friends. And likewise, you, you had as well. So I think we, I think we helped each other grow a lot. Well, well put. I, um, I think that, uh, oh, I was gonna, I was gonna, I had a nice retort, a nice follow-up there, but my, my thoughts are racing. I need a mindfulness moment. (laughs) Um, yeah, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, you, you hit on, uh, some main ones um any other podcasts or things that you subscribe to regularly i mean i haven't really been listening to jordan peterson um on his own too too much um i do listen to like some other sports things um but nothing too regularly mainly joe joe rogan whenever he has specific guests because he puts out way too much content for me to, to for me to enjoy like two or three three hour podcasts every few days that's a lot of content yeah i agree i i agree totally i've I, I don't know how he does it it's crazy well lately he's not doing it very well the lights off i i haven't i haven't really been keeping up but the last couple that i watched were elon two or three and then he had a couple others that i was listening to well since you know this uh weather change in houston there's been power outages and he's uh i I see been affected but i I should check i didn't look in the last that doesn't make sense to me though he has like a huge studio you would think he'd have generators he'd just be going just humming well i think that he's probably up and running now i haven't checked in the last few days but i did notice there was a blip in his uh productivity if there are power outages though i'm sure guests would have a tough time getting in and out and have to fly them in and do all kinds of weird things to get them on the show. Even just uh, getting, you know, on the roads. I've, I don't think Texans are accustomed to much ice like us Canadians are. Yeah. My brother's actually in Texas right now. He, we haven't really talked about it, but he did say it was pretty wild down there for, for quite a while. 
isn't it always wild? I think that might be one of the first places I, the new California, I'll be glad to visit. I guess so. I guess so. Everyone's talking about it. Wonderful place to go. But my brother loves Canada, so I think I think he'll be coming back regardless. But he went to Texas to get away from the snow for a little while and keep warm. So I think he's especially disappointed in uh, the last couple of weeks. He's always living in the states, isn't he? He's been in the states since since he started working in Boston at Boston College. And that was probably mm, 11 or 12 years ago, mm-hmm. maybe maybe a little bit longer. He studied in the States, studied in England, then studied in the States again. I think he worked in Ottawa for a short time and then went right to the States. So he's been a, what do they call them? Expats? Yes, an expat uh, or a nomad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, I want to delve down to, uh, well, come back full circle, but I wonder how your beverages, if you want to take a quick uh I'm good to go if you are. Yeah, that's fine. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, circling back to the idea of masks and in a way that seems like an easier topic because it's visual and tangible and um, it might become a little bit more difficult to fathom how what a vaccine is and how it works. I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around it. But to the point earlier you were making of how, you know, the governance of this rollout and the way vaccines are being done. I, I mean, I just want to touch on this idea that sticks with me. It was uh, a great thinker um, named Zygmunt Bauman, and he talked about the idea of power and politics. And he said, politics is the thing to know what to do, and power is the means to go about doing it right. You know, getting it done. And at the moment, you know, there's been this, there's a lot of distrust towards government and there's a lot of um, speculation. I mean, you, you were touching on it earlier about the long-term economic implications of shutting down and you don't think that we're going about, you know, um, handling the, the spread of any contagion in the right way. So what is the right approach you know if you had a magic wand how would you go about um instilling responsibility in in citizens i don't know how i would instill responsibility in citizens but i think the right approach would be to just be more strict with all businesses let them all operate but then come down with more of an iron fist when they broke any type of regulations i just don't understand how they're allowing everyone to pile into a walmart or a mcdonald's and you can, and you and you can't give the same um, regulation to every other store, whether it is a small shop or whether it is a bigger, um, less um, essential store. But it's instilling responsibility—that's that's not something you can do with a regulation. That's that's more of a social um, something that you have to like build with culture. And you see it in certain countries, you see it in certain um, cities, even or small towns. And whether or not they all adopt the same view, um, certain, certainly social responsibility is, is very different from small area to small area. I, I, the main thing is I don't think that there's that much. Um, I don't think you can come back from shutting down everything for as long as it has been and expecting there not to be like long-term repercussions over the next three to five to 10 years. In terms of um, inc- like increased um, social dependence on um, disability or welfare programs, um, uh, business foreclosures, um, all all these all these um, domino effects that'll 
certainly be coming down the, the line once the, these stimulus packages stop getting rolled out and what happens. That's that's the question next I'm going to pose to you. I mean, where is this all going, in your opinion? Are you going to paint a dystopia or, um, you know, is there a, a way to a more reasonable outcome? Uh, how would you... How do you forecast the way things are going at the moment? If, uh, if people aren't creating value, if people aren't um, you know, practicing entrepreneurship, if people aren't, don't have enough time, enough money, enough energy to have new ideas, new things won't be created. There will be a stagnation in a lot of, um, uh, a lot of industries because pe- like so many people just don't have the resources to put time into extra endeavors. I mean, if they're struggling to, to, to get, make money with their business, how will they ever expand a, a new product or expand their business? And if so many people are forced to shut down, but given artificial money, you know, money printed by the government or you just, you know, everyone's going into debt. So like we've been, we're in the highest amount of debt we've ever been in as a, as a collective it's just going to be a huge recession eventually but still people are lending out money at the lowest rates to try to artificially prop it up and eventually there'll just be you know no one to do these things some of the metrics from the limited content i've put online thus far is showing me you know that listeners are tuning in from different cities and and states in the US mm-hmm. um and i i'm sure that our neighbors south of the border would, uh, well, they probably don't have much understanding of how the Canadian, uh, the Canadian context. I mean, do do you not see a distinction in how we've gone about responding and handling um, in terms of health uh, precautions and and economic um, um, stimulus? I mean, how do you distinguish the difference between the U S and Canada in that regard for, well, I'm not even sure I know what I'm asking you, but I think that there's a distinction between Canada and the U.S. And how would you go about, you know, explaining your take on that? Well, in the earlier days, it was it was a little bit more clear that we had acted quicker and were more vigilant and more concerned about the risks. And especially in the southern states or states um, that specifically didn't have um, regulations, fines set out mask mandates i remember their numbers were very high their healthcare system was very taxed their conditions were quite quite poor their outcomes were quite poor i mean in the early days like when florida had spring break and that huge explosion occurred and you had hospitals like having people outside and like in the hallways and people not being able to have a ventilator now it's probably pretty similar Besides, you know, certain states where they're very um, opinionated about their own rights and perhaps um, very opinionated about um, their own um, objection to government regulation. But it's, it's definitely more black and white during the peak of the pandemic, back when, you know, Italy was having to like mass bury people and put them in graves and didn't have the, the manpower to, to even dig individual graves at the time or, and perhaps they didn't have want to do that either to um, 
create more vectors for contamination of dead bodies with with COVID as well. I'm I'm not sure. I can't remember. Well, on the topic of um, vaccines, then I mean, let's let's make sense of how that's useful. I mean, I admittedly haven't been as responsible in having my own vaccinations or I haven't been as concerned, you know, pre-pandemic and certainly now it's all the Mm -hmm. talk. Did you ever get the flu vaccine? Um, But I'm ashamed to say, like, I'm not a a huge proponent or advocate. I'm ashamed to say I don't, I'm not sure. I clearly didn't uh, prioritize it. Uh, I was, I I was sort of of the mistaken belief. Now I, I think I'm, I'm better learning the situation, but I was before of the thought that I don't really need the vaccine. I'm a healthy fella. You know, I, I, I'll gain sort of immunity by not, I mean, it's, it's not logical now. Now I understand that clearly a tested immune system that's been um, provided small doses of, of some pathogen, if that's the right word, is going to it's going to be stronger for for overcoming it clearly a tested immune system is stronger than an untested one case in point being you know any of the uh remote villages or untouched places on the earth that that become grossly infected when when settlers uh you know when people sort of colonize that area it sounds like you've been educated and and you know it's just a fault of our perhaps our government, perhaps our education system that you weren't effectively educated at a younger age, realizing that a vaccine would, would be much more beneficial to you than just your own immune system. But not only that, much more beneficial to everyone that you're surrounding yourself with because you could be you know, carrying it without really having any symptoms or carrying it having had mild symptoms and got over it very quickly because you're so young and virile and you know your immune system's so strong. And perhaps never getting it would be the safest option for, for everyone around you. But what, what's your opinion on the COVID vaccine um, apart from vaccines well, in general? Uh, clearly it would seem people who are in a position to receive it are being privileged at the moment, mostly because in Canada, the rollout mm. is uh, sort of dubious. Um, I think, you know, population wise, we're, we're a relatively small country and the, world yes the geography the geography we're a gigantic country so it's there are there are logistical issues but in terms of you know exclusivity it it would seem people are are trying to be first in line and uh, so so i wonder are you have you been vaccinated or what's the plan uh, for you i i have the opportunity to be um thursday i most likely will not just because they're so limited and well, I guess I shouldn't say that primarily I'll be working nights. And I think I have to get up probably around 11 or 12 in the middle of the day to get it. And there are a limited amount. So I figure if I don't get it, some hopefully older nurse will probably get it that might need it more or Interesting. benefit I mean, from that's it more. Perhaps, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. Maybe that misguided, uh, I mean, I'm projecting thinking that people are, are, are trying to be front of the line. I'm also of the opinion that I don't need to be the first. I'm relatively healthy, fortunately. Um, you know, I, I'd much rather see my grandma enjoy the benefits of, uh, of the vaccine before I, so that, you know, she could have a little bit more. Or, or yeah, someone like exactly, your grandma. Exactly. 
Yeah. Altruistic. Yes, but then again, if everyone's being altruistic, then no one's getting nobody. Nobody's being uh, vaccinated. Perhaps, but um, I guess it comes to a certain point where you have, you have to um, inform people that you know now's the time for everyone to get it instead of uh, just the critical members. But I don't have any good data on how quickly it's being rolled out. But it seems like it's slow. It seems like it's way slower than it should be. And I haven't done enough research on supply and um, distribution and um, the finances behind it as well. These are all like major factors that have to be, have to be definitely taken into consideration. Is it something that's discussed, you know, daily at at your place of work or what is it? Generally the daily, the discussion that would happen is, have you heard, like, when are we getting these vaccines? Um, If, if you have heard, like, do you, do you know when, um, have you heard of other hospitals getting it? Do you know how many like are coming to Ontario? Those type of things, just general talks. There, there was a clear indication that the hospital received a load of vaccines because they had, um, security, um, with the vaccines. And I believe they may have just been holding them for, to distribute them to long-term care facilities because we have a lab in our, hospital that can have you know um, freezers and be monitored by healthcare professionals i'm not sure because i think thursday is the first time that um the hospital's employees are going to be vaccinated so so what do you say i mean clearly there are attempts at trying to to move this policy along the strategy towards you know vaccinizing and uh, what's the term immunitizing Uh, what is the term i'm thinking of um i'm not sure uh de- de- developing like the the group community the yeah community. I, that's what i'm referring to i'm not that much of uh clearly i have no idea what the hell i'm talking about i mean i'm trying to make sense of <laughs> i'm trying to make sense of something everybody's all of a sudden i was listening to one podcast and it was like a virologist on uh you know saying all of a sudden people had a keen interest in my job and you know was you know prior to the pandemic nobody gave a damn but now uh no one answered no one yeah. returned my calls and now every all of a sudden my phone is blowing exactly. up exactly and uh i don't know in a way this seems like a bit of a public um um what is it psa uh public service announcement but i i more than anything it's just a conversation and sort of an inside look into how you're seeing uh, things unfold well every year with the influenza vaccine there's always a bit of a mild discussion amongst colleagues, amongst patients, amongst, you know, everyone. And there's always a bit of, they could, you know, like they hardly ever get it right. Obviously we're all going to get it because, you know, we can't be treating uh, patients and not having it. And if, you know, a, a lot of times we have patients who are positive for inf- influenza in the hospital, but people generally have, um, lots of reservations about vaccines because they know how hit and miss they can be with the with the flu because it's constantly mutating they have to get it out you know in time for the mutation and the flu season as soon as it gets a bit colder and there's always like people that don't really want to get it you know there's always people that kind of say you know is it really going to be that um, 
effective this year. And there's definitely been years where it hasn't been the right strain at all. And they come out afterwards, they say, yeah, we missed the mark on this, this one. But hopefully with this um, COVID vaccine, that isn't the case. And I haven't really been seeing data that uh, shows that um, it's more effective than, than they have been um, preaching in the preliminary study. What do you say to someone that uh, that's you know highly distrusting? I mean, I, I've talked to some people, I think, or at least I've heard of folks who are conflating, you know, the idea of five G and the vaccine and being microchipped and all these things. Five G? I don't know. Like, I don't know if I could even have a conversation with someone like that because they're just too far gone. And like, it, it'd be like me trying to like convince your mom that uh perhaps you know her religion isn't the most uh, correct one kind of thing it's, it's just not really worth well anyone's I, I'm, time. I'm glad you said that because i i see it differently i mean the whole reason of this rex crim show is exactly to counteract that fact that if you disagree with someone you just don't listen to them you turn them off you you block them they don't become part of your feed i i would i wouldn't say i would not listen to them but I don't think that anything I would have to say to them personally would have any effect. I, if I, if they were my close personal friend, which is not a reality, mm-hmm. but if you had the view that vaccines were microchipping caused autism, whatever you thought they did, I would try to present you with the facts. I would try to present you with studies. If you even believe studies, because there's people that, think those are you know propaganda they're paid for by x y and z if they don't believe the evidence or they don't believe the validity of the evidence or the fact that it's you know done scientifically or you know on the up and up then you don't have a lot of you don't have a leg to stand on so there has to be some sort of common ground before you you have any type of discussion with you know someone with these type of views and if you can find the common ground you know early on then I would try to present that type of evidence, try to tell them that it's, you know, I would only be trying to help them, try to better them, try to improve their own health and the health of our friends and our family. But, but honestly, if you get into like the microchipping um, mindset, I think you're in too deep and like, you'd have to, you'd have to have a serious life altering um, event where maybe you stop and think and you'd have to get maybe there on that, your own. Maybe that you circles back nicely own. to what I've read of on the topic of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, a lot of times when people don't believe the evidence, they have to have something quite negative happen to them or a family member and then stop and realize that, you know, maybe this is worse than I thought. Or maybe people are telling me the truth and then do their own independent research with a different mindset and then see things a bit differently. I wish I had a better example. I'm thinking of Uh, hypothetical. I mean, how would you go about, where would you even begin if you had a member of a patient's family, you know, and, uh, and maybe you can think of examples where, you know, you want to provide the best care according to, you know, the, the standards and uh, the science best you know it in your practice and uh and they're just of the opinion that you know this is i mean a a perfect example i've thought of uh 
is someone in the ICU and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm referring to Nat's experience here. And she, she's telling me, you know, family members are like, well, mom needs, mom's going to need her oregano oil. You know, it's like the essential oils. Um, you know, there's, there's this sort of uh, mistaken belief versus, you know, an acceptance of the, of the dominant narrative around science and, and knowledge. So where do you go about even trying to find common ground with someone who's utterly mistaken in the position that they're taking, according to you? Well, in that specific situation where it's the relationship of nurse or physician to a patient, the patient, you know, their beliefs are paramount. If they're making decisions and they're not, you know, confused, they're not in a, they're not in a state where that of like they're altered at all, and they're making decisions that they of sound mind, I guess is the right word. Then if they have their own, you know, religious beliefs or own personal beliefs, you don't need to interject at all. If they don't want something done and it's going to harm them, you inform them as much as you can, you advise them as much as you can, but you don't, you know, tell them they're wrong. You don't tell them their beliefs are wrong. They, they just have their own decisions to make and they make them. If they don't want your treatment that you think is best, then there, there might be a reason that they shouldn't be in the hospital. They should just go home because you can't just not give them treatment because they don't want it and then mm -hmm. do something else for them. That isn't because, because once you start doing that, you're at risk um, with your practice because once they do have negative effects and you didn't do what you've been taught to do, then you have issues. You have to say they refused care. They refused um, my advice and we went our separate ways. And then once they get worse, then they can represent and then they accept your care and that's fine, but you can't just keep them in your care and do pray for them or something. And then, or, or whatever, use oregano oil and then they have negative effects. It's gotta be incongruence with what you wanna do. Those oregano oils, it can't just be those things because then you're in trouble when when you're in in uh, have responsibility with this patient. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, there, surely there are some um, people who are you know emphatically religious and uh, and and for that reason they would refuse certain types of care. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking. Sure, yeah, that's it's just quite so common. Uncommon. Yeah. So where's how do you draw the line between deciding? when a vaccine for example which only works if majority of the people do it as opposed to like the slippery slope of forcing people to become vac vaccinated sure well in my mind it should just be when it's when it's a clear um not a gray area not no real negatives per, like percentage-wise statistically like vaccines do cause some issues but the net benefits so much greater like like you can go back to wearing masks. Masks do cause some issues. Then it benefits so much greater. They should be mandated. Um, or, or at least you should be not be able to do certain things if you don't follow the regulations. Um, just like seatbelts. Just like any other government regulation, generally speaking, that's, that's fairly um, fair. Like all the regulations to do with transportation, travel, you know, hand hygiene has been fairly regulated. You know, if you, if you don't have any hand hygiene in a hospital, it, you get in trouble, like for sure. They have audits. They have people that come in that, um, what is it called? Accreditation. 
there's there's lots of these government regulations that have a lot more benefit than um, negatives. Mm-hmm. And f- just for some reason, vaccines have just got this uh, this this one study that was created all this backlash, and it's just causing reverberations. And where do you see things going in the mid uh, mid to near? future i mean i'm thinking of cases of travel for example and post 9 11 i mean the whole tsa in the u.s and having to take your shoes off was a new um rule that became instituted do you do you see masks and uh, submitting to health um you know your vaccine passport for example is foreseeable well Canada? I mean, we're more than ever in a cosmopolitan situation where everyone in the world belongs to each other and uh, the nation state you know the idea of uh, some imaginary border means nothing to a virus so how do you explain travel in the next little while yeah that's true that's true i think it will revert to what it was um in the in the best part of the last year perhaps COVID test before you get on a plane kind of thing. It's present uh, a negative test. Perhaps be vaccinated as well. Perhaps one of the two. Um, in future, I think masks will be probably mandatory if you're showing any symptoms of any type of health. Um, any type of uh, cold, I should say. And then maybe mass mandatory in public areas that are closely confined, buses, subways, and and whatever else you could think of that's similar. Because that's that's kind of prudent. I mean, you have this many people using a bus that can't be cleaned constantly and is operated by one person um, usually all day long with maybe a midday cleanup or a, a check, a maintenance check what's the problem with everyone on the bus wearing a mask? If that was done worldwide, I'm sure they would have a huge benefit in the long run. I'm sure you could find that it does. The idea of masks, I think, are probably going to be relatively more commonplace in in North America. Yeah. I mean, I think that we just haven't had a big pandemic globally in such a long time that people kind of got a little bit cocky didn't realize that this could happen so easily. We did have SARS, which was fairly mild in terms of how many people it affected. We did have swine flu, which was, again, kind of fairly mild in terms of the spread, but both fairly fairly much higher mortality rates, obviously. Um, but it's been like this in Asia for many years. And this is where the, these are where these viruses uh, come from and mutate because the population is so high and they're doing more risky things over there for sure. Um, but in, t- in terms of, you know, the negative effect on us as a population, it's, I'll circle back. It's just, it's just close to none. And it's very similar to the seatbelt wearing it, not even putting it in cars, wearing it. It's in the cars when it was, in, when it was, you know, mandated as a regulation, people didn't want to wear it. And if, if the regulation is going to be, if you're in a public place, you know, of X, Y, and Z, certain proximities, you have to wear a mask. Obviously, for many years, people are going to be in an uproar. 
but eventually it'll just be the norm. I think in my opinion, I think it will be and for the better. Yeah. It seems like we're coming out of this, uh, you know, new, well, this is a, in a way it makes me wonder if it's a dress rehearsal for the big event, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, you know, we could say that we're very fortunate that it's not as, as fatal as virus could be. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, there are lots of instances of um, something being quite fatal, but in other, in, in far foregone generations, you know, the black plague and uh, uh, what is it again? The Spanish flu. Yeah. Spanish flu. And, and then other various things which, you know, run rampant in certain areas of the world before they understood them or knew how to deal with them that just killed off huge percentages of the population. And this is a, another slight, sm- sm- small example of it that we haven't had in so long. It's been a, that people just, a rude awakening. Yeah, sure. People realizing how, how um, fragile we are as a, as a population and, you know, you know, taking a lot of things for granted and and being upset that we have to, you know, be more careful, you know, just, just very, very entitled t- type of people we are. You know? I'm so glad that you touched on that. I mean, there's this sort of victim mentality, like my rights are being infringed upon, but then with that comes a gross sense of entitlement. Like, why should I have to wear a mask? You know, and it's like this pandemic, if anything, I like to see the good that it's caused. It has shown so clearly, in my view, how much we belong to one another and the responsibility we have to ourselves uh, as much as to each other. Yeah, I think it's very true. I, I just, I think I should stop focusing on the negatives and, you know, to get my myself, you know, maybe anecdotally falsely believing that more people think that way than they do, because ob- on, obviously it's, it's a, a more interesting news piece to, to get people thinking about the, the worst that can happen the negative side of things and it's not really that popular to just have feel good pieces all the time but indeed i'm i I agree i mean i was talking about this very idea recently um i'm thinking of jared lanyi's book on 10 reasons why you should quit social media right now and uh he he very eloquently Mm -hmm. highlights this very thing that you know the reason why it's no it's no coincidence that the things on your social media feed, uh, which create negative emotions are the ones that happen to engage you the most. Like it's harder to foster a sense mm-hmm. of trust, love, um, and, and those positive emotions that takes effort and it's, they're not, e- they're, they're done over a long period of time. Whereas in an, it, it, it does take it takes context, takes context sure. yes, and an understanding of, of the circumstances. But in an attention economy where everyone's engaging online, it's really about how can you get the quickest impulse? And indeed, the negative emotions, it makes sense, sure, sure. are run rampant because that's what keeps you engaged. So so I do want to, yeah. I do want to, uh, you know, we had a nice moment there talking positively, but I, I, I want to come back to the negative uh aspect and and touch on conspiracy i mean how do you make sense of uh, people that suggest um there's coincidentally a laboratory working on a novel coronavirus in proximity to wuhan Uh, yeah i mean the the conspiracy 
might be a stretch to even call it a conspiracy because the the facts of the matter are pretty compelling to to make you at least think that they were working on something and either wanted to let it out or accidentally let it out who really knows but i mean the fact that they have a what what was it exactly a virus uh was it a what was it the uh, they had in Wuhan specifically? I it forget. was some sort of lab, I understand, that was coincidentally, it turned out, working on novel coronavirus of the same or similar str- right. you know, strain. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist. I wasn't there. I, but these are the things that I'm hearing. And regardless, you know, whether that turns out to be the case or not, it seems there is a, a, a rude awakening to the potential of, um, you know, terrorism and virus warfare and that sort of thing yeah i don't think that that was the case i remember in the peak in the start of the pandemic i was reading more into it and of course um people were saying that at the at first this was an act of terrorism and things like that but the more i read about it and listened to people that had um more more uh, information on the subject if anything, they were just studying it and made a mistake. And at worst, they were going to use it on their own population um, to that would only affect elderly and they messed up and, and uh, created something a little bit more uh, detrimental. Uh, you're referring to the idea of eugenics? The, uh, yeah, and- some, some mild eugenics perhaps something that would only affect people with very, very weak immune systems that were a hindrance to the, the healthcare system, the, the, the uh, country, because that's maybe perhaps something China would do. Or perhaps they were just, you know, researching it for, you know, altruistic means to, to protect against it. And it just got out. It's, it's pretty hard to come to a conclusion either way. I, but at the same time, I don't think that that's, full conspiracy theory because of the fact that that's where the virus came from and clearly they're working with um coronaviruses and coming from the specific animal that they tracked it down to so i i I don't want to misconstrue you know the um i alluded to the idea of you know um virus warfare and terrorism and i'm not sure that's the case but certainly moving forward the risk it's all it's always been on the horizon for sure but i mean since um since covid19 we haven't heard of too too much in terms of mass like terrorism um coming from china or anything like that we've mainly heard of them locking themselves down things like that so I'm not sure that that was really the the goal, but then you'll they'll have conspiracy theorists that would say it was the goal of them to take away our liberty yeah. and things like that. You know, to the long con, the slow burn. Are you familiar with this concept of the Great Reset? How do you make sense of that? I'm not familiar with it um, in its entirety. Just just, um, just what you're alluding to. My understanding is that you know this is a there's a nefarious agenda um, having to do with the global elite in wanting to, you know, expedite this, uh, this sort of um, power and control over the wider populace. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have to, you have to think of everything like in simplistic terms, like Occam's razor, like 
were the global elite really unhappy with you know the power they had before um COVID-19 did they really you know want to unleash a, vi a virus on the world and like limit everyone's uh rights for their own future power I mean like that seems pretty complicated and kind of like a roundabout the way a roundabout way to get more power when they could really just continue what they were doing and acquire more wealth and what they were doing yeah i, I agree i think that it's you know that's a stretch and that's maybe more appropriate to to label uh, conspiratorial what did you say yeah, alcon razor sure. what is that term <laughs> you know what alcon's razor is no i don't educate me i've never heard that before um that the the simplest explanation is usually the correct one is that a latin term or what how do i say it no i think it was it it was named by the guy who coined it um o c c a m s actually i guess it is latin but uh it's pretty it's pretty common I, I, are are you playing dumb no i'm not so I, i'm to... serious i didn't know that and you've you've taught me something i've jotted that down so okay. alcum's alcum razor it's a latin term that means the, the the simplest explanation is the most plausible one yes correct very interesting yeah it, it is applied to many things especially scientifically when you try to extrapolate meaning for why your experiment failed and you try to make it too complicated you should just make it simple mm -hmm. yeah that's 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 the that's the gist of I, it but it's definitely much more complex than it, that i think i mean i love the minutiae i love the nuance and that's you know what this show's all about uh, i guess but i guess the the, the most plausible explanation is that there's so many patterns which are not sustainable on the earth population den sure. density is uh, is a clear area of concern and the pandemic you know the the was just a, a and, and going back to the original point occam's razor would say human error caused the pandemic a mistake and whether that mistake was from someone trying to someone trying to uh, generate a virus to use for terrorism to use on their own people or just because people study viruses some type of error occurred because mm -hmm. oftentimes that's the that's the easiest explanation for why things happen well coming out of this deep philosophical um quandary then i wonder what are practical examples i mean from a healthcare provider what do you suggest people do um where is that responsibility you know if you put it in their hands i think it's more comfortable comfortable in my opinion at least to say i have some ownership over the situation because then at least i i'm empowered to do something as opposed to saying you know why me this this is a situation beyond my control so following that logic what do you suggest to folks uh you know in terms of what they can do to to bring about order and try to rectify this dilemma that we find ourselves in you mean like the the new situation we find ourselves in as a population yeah like for any doubters that are thinking i mean we, we seem to be turning over a new leaf and starting i mean there's so many great things in my opinion that have come out of this pandemic i mean the, my sense of autonomy being able to work from home more so having a healthier work-life balance i'm extremely privileged in my circumstances there are people who are struggling beyond belief uh, who are homeless and there's a great deal of um there's a great deal of 
suffering that's happening. You know, it's sure. becoming it's becoming exasperated in in some ways. But we all have 24 hours in a day, and we're all in this together in a way. And so, how is it that you suggest people, you know, spend their time um, if they were just to do something small? I mean, clearly washing your hands, wearing a mask, uh, considering the vaccine. Um, you know, any other things come to mind that that you can share in terms of this public? service announcement? Well, I, w- I wouldn't be so assuming to think that I could tell people anything they could do themselves, but if they were looking for something f- from me for whatever reason, obviously this shows, you know, we as a population are very resilient and it does give us warning to the future and does show us that, you know, don't take things for granted and um, be, be prepared to to uh, make changes a little bit easier in the future when presented with the facts, when presented with evidence um, that, you know, don't get um, complacent in our lifestyle and uh, don't just assume that things are going to continue as the way they always have been, you know, the way your parents told you it always has been because, you know, it's, it's very, very changing world, you know, it's fluid and, and we must remain adaptable and uh, flexible. But, you know, like I said, we're very resilient. You know, these things teach us a lot and we, we learn from them and we, we, we get ready for the future too. How do you think um, you talked about earlier, the economic repercussions and I have the sense that once this pandemic sort of, we get some semblance of control over the infection, you know, the second foot is yet to, to drop. And uh, you alluded to the idea of, um, of an economic uh, impact. So what do you think that looks like? And am I unwise to be putting my money in stocks? I don't, I don't think so because there may be a collapse, but after every depression, there's been a great resurgence because, because, we are who we are and, you know, things always will bounce back. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I don't do enough research or independent study into economics or finance, but the way the amount of the employment rates and the amount of um, businesses that have been put on pause, um, at least in North America, because that's what I know. There, there can't really continue to be economic growth the way it has been in the past. And the amount of lending that's going on at the rates that they're doing with all these people not um, creating businesses or able to be creating businesses or continuing the businesses they have in place, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to come down eventually. And we're going to have no money for social services. We're going to have no money for growth. We have no money for education, and this is going to just cause negatives in the future. And, and a lot of it is, you know, you can't mitigate it. But like I said, a lot of it can be mitigated just by allowing businesses to provide services to the people that want them or, or, some, or most times need them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of exciting and um, disconcerting at the same time to think of, you know, where, uh, where it will all go. But I have to count my lucky stars uh, for whatever reason I just find myself in a 
position where I'm so fortunate to have a job and an income. And uh, I mean, the, the, the real estate uh, market in Toronto has afforded an opportunity to, to level up and, you know, lease a condo that otherwise would have been out of grasp. And there's just so much good I see that's coming from, uh, from this. I, I want to, in a way, find some, somehow to give back. And I guess in a strange, some strange way, the Rex Crim show is a means of fostering a conversation around, you know, to that end. So I, um, I mean, I, I, part of me doesn't want to end. Uh, I want to, I feel like, you know, we, there's certainly going to have to be a part two and I'll have you on, but I, I'm mindful of your time and that we're, you know, we've reached a point of saturation. Sure. Before, before I end though, I, I, uh, I welcome anything that you think we haven't touched on that, that should be discussed. And I always make a point lately of asking people I'm chatting with, you know, to think of anything they want to plug or any uh, thing that you think is important to, to, um, to relate to uh, in the show notes, uh, to reference in the show notes, or even nominations in terms of subject matter that should be uh, explored in future episodes or individuals who I should be inviting on the show. And that brings me to a mutual friend uh, who I'm sure you're aware, you know, I'm sure you're front of mind um, thinking of who I'm thinking of. Our, our, Michael uh, number two. Our, our, yeah, our big, uh, our big papa, so to speak. Yeah, I, I wonder, yeah, with him and, and perhaps if we had a three-way podcast, it would be more of a social, a social meeting. Yeah. And that would be, I'd, I'd welcome that quite a lot with him i guess you'd have to stick to similar issues that we discussed maybe delve more into his his um vocation yeah indeed yeah i without a doubt uh i hope to expand and have multi a uh, couple of people on and that way it becomes becomes a more of a, a three-way conversation or multi-person conversation in terms of uh, conversation for personal enjoyment i would enjoy to have both michaels in a zoom call but I, th- I think we need to have the uh, the show that doesn't really stick to um, COVID nineteen at all, and uh, yeah, may- maybe not a script, but uh, I mean, really, the the Rex Crim show comes from you know my my own my own interest in criminology and this concept I've been toying with for a while, known as uh, kingpin criminology, which is just making it's it's making you know critical thinking and critical and cultural criminology accessible and informative and uh and useful and um yeah so i don't even know what it is yet but it's in the making and and that's how the rex crim show was born so there is no there is no you know script certainly and it's just what's interesting and the candid conversation that you and i have without a microphone between us uh is mostly what i sought to capture and i think we've managed to achieve uh, in this chat. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with the result. I definitely like to see um, the other episodes w- once you have mm-hmm. them uh, to your liking. I have a couple already that I'm stockpiling that I regretted. Uh, I thought I should have sent you the first two just to have had a listen to before we got, came on. So it'll, as I say, it'll be a lot more fun when you're uh, up to speed on what's happening and it becomes self-referential. Regardless, I like to watch them just for my own enjoyment. And then secondarily, perhaps for 
research and uh, conversation cues and things like that. It's very kind of you to say. I, I um, it's you know my gift of the gab, giving back to the world in some strange way. And um, so Michael number two is uh, without a doubt on my hit list, but he's a difficult. He might he might be difficult to pin down. That's the he other thing. is difficult to pin down. I haven't been able to get a. Uh, even get a call back from him. I've made a couple of attempts. So I, I guess this is my Have call, you, calling out to, to the universe, hoping to get a call back. If he, if you get in touch with him, he'll certainly make a little bit of an effort, but it's yeah, get, getting, getting that commitment. Oh yeah. Getting him in the right state of mind and getting the conversation going, uh, won't be too difficult. You know, when, when the momentum, I mean, he went on Lee Bercy's, uh, talk show. So, you know he wants to get his voice out there if he's going to go on cable TV and talk. How recently? That that was uh, just prior to myself going on, I guess. Yeah, it must have been. It must have been like 2018, maybe, 18, 19. God love him. Well, he, he's going to have to come back and and, uh, and provide a rebuttal to... Uh, to these comments that were yeah we should we should defame his character so he has to come on here and uh, defend himself i don't think there's much that you or i could say to defame his uh, his character any <laughs> any more than necessary I, but you know god love him he's uh, he's he's got a, a soft spot close to both mine and in your hearts i think there's another person i'm thinking of reaching out to who i haven't talked to in a while which is uh, Dcam. Dcam would probably be open to this type of format. Yeah, I've uh, I've done a couple. What do you call them? Like uh, like Zoom games with him and a couple other people from our our hometown, and they seem like they have enough time on their hands and they're open to scheduling appointments like these. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely reach out to him and uh, and you can plant the seed uh, and let Michael um, number two know that I'm. I'm gunning for him. I think he knows. Yeah. He's, he's ducking you. He's, uh, I know. I uh, I get that sense. I know when people are uh, dodging my calls. Anyway, I've I've bended my dear friend's ear for perhaps too long, and uh, we'll see what becomes of this episode, but I'll keep you posted on uh, the post-production. I, it occurred to me, I'm not entirely sure I even did a proper introduction. Uh, we just started out and I don't I think, I think you did. If I recall, yeah. I think you did. I don't think I, I said your name or if I, uh, no, I think you did. You, yeah. you, uh, you, I don't, asked I, it was okay. I don't think I, I don't think I give your address though <laughs> and, your, and, your, and your telephone number. Well, you didn't give my social insurance number and you, and you did tell me what was off limits. Yeah. We didn't discuss what was fully off limits though. And I, I think I wanted a little bit more, um, rule discussion because when you were when you're discussing about um our time in chicago you were kind of goading me into saying some things that Mm -hmm. i definitely shouldn't be saying well for example until now i had never said uh, my girlfriend's name and it just kind of came out naturally and i don't think first name though yeah i don't think there's any harm in in the world knowing uh her first name but um but uh i mean yeah indeed some things have to have to uh how how um like what would limitations be in future in, in terms of uh telling your own personal stories i i i hope yeah i'm really glad you asked me that and i for anyone that's still listening or at all keen on on knowing this i mean i, th- I think i think you'd be cutting this part out this is what this is why i'm talking so candid no i mean this is the beauty of it i hope to to for it to be candid and i hope not to have to censor much at all of what i say 
at the moment it's new and um you know i'm hoping that come the turn of a new chapter if i was uh you know enrolling back in school for example and i felt like i had a little bit more autonomy over over what i say um i think that, you know there could be a lot more there could be maybe less discretion and more uh even more candor um but 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 it let's get into specifics yeah. because so I, I think there will be a part where you should cut some of this out. Yeah. Um, in terms of personal uh, substance use, in terms of personal sexual escapades, would those be near the limit of don't discuss? I think that it's something that anyone interested in, in knowing about me and listening to this show would just come to appreciate over time. And um I'm glad that you're kind of directing the conversation that that way. I mean, I'm very comfortable talking around the subject. I mean, I'm not going to go out and say, I, th I think I'm comfortable as well, but if we were doing two or three episodes, I think it would circle back to a lot of uh, topics that would need some, uh, I'd have to hit that explicit mark when I'm publishing the episode uh, for the world at the very least. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope to be um, completely, you know, authentic and transparent. And as I say to folks, when I'm having a, I mean, I try not to chat with them very long before I hit record. Cause I just want it to all be authentic, but if I'm ever touching sure. on something that's uncomfortable, I would be, I would just be frank and say, I'd either talk around it or I'd say that's, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to, go further on that topic. I mean, I've gone as far as to say, you know, my, my job would shall remain nameless and sure for, for the reason of, you know, keeping church and state separate, so to speak um, regarding, you know, sexual escapades and experience, uh, you know, with drugs and alcohol. I mean, I did go to grad school in the Netherlands and uh, you know, well acquainted with Amsterdam, but it's not all it's, you know, it doesn't, uh, my experience is not consistent with the ideas that are conjured up stereotypically when you talk about such a, such a place. Sure. I'm mainly thinking about long-term, if you're publishing these podcasts, how you feel um, comfortable level. Yeah. That's, that's all. I, I, know, I know all those things yeah, right. about you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Although the, anyone listening still doesn't. And that's why it's important to start out with people close to me who know me, who I can have these honest conversations sure. with. So there's some circumstance around who I am and what I do. The long-term repercussions, you know, I guess I'm, I, I believe what I'm doing is uh, essentially speaking the truth. I mean, just being entirely honest and I don't, I mean, there's reason to be tactful and discreet about certain aspects of my life, but there's also um, a need to be quite, honest and candid and i don't know maybe so you're saying it's a bit people, of a gray area and you have to you have to uh think on it maybe a little bit i guess so i guess i'm still figuring it out and for that reason you know i hummed and hot a great deal i was going to come on with a pseudonym and use um a different name and you know but i thought that's not true to myself actually the my first uh, first recording was with my mom and we talked about you know lgbtq2 plus rights and we got it got a bit heated and um <laughs> And, you know, she wasn't referring to me as my pseudonym Rex. And it seemed so disingenuous, you know, when she did say it. So I thought I, I have to, that has to be scrapped. I mean, yeah. I, I am who I am and I need to just be honest. So it, it that is becoming even in this episode. But, but not only that, like, what are you trying to protect with a pseudonym? What's, 
what what what's the risk that you're worried about i guess with, with your name my, with your name uh, I mean. it, as we were mentioning before you know it's it's my livelihood um the the concern that there would ever be an allegation made i was using you know a position of authority or trust to benefit myself even though i'm not monetizing this in any way it's totally just for out in the ether for for public so discourse are, and debate so are you saying that a person with your position, which I kind of wanted you to say, isn't allowed to have a public podcast. Like they, they get in trouble. Well, that, that's, that's the gray area. There's a real culture of um, compliance in, in the work that I do. And, uh, and that has to do with following, you know, being confined by certain policies, which prohibit me in a lot of ways. And I don't exactly. But are, they, but are these, are these actualized or are they just theoretical? Well, I guess that'll be the ultimate test is if there's, you know, repercussions as a result of me having the Rex Crim show, then we'll have to see. I mean, I guess. Have they been, have they been actualized in any other way with your colleagues or in, um, in the media at all with someone with your position saying too much? I think that being too vocal. Well, to our point earlier about being a nurse, for example, there's there's far more nurses that go out and speak, you know, out against their their employer, for example, um, more so, I think, than in my line of work. There's sort of that there's sort of that distinction. Um, it's such a good topic you're you're bringing up. I I have to think on it some some more. There's a big difference between speaking out against an employer negatively and just having your own views broadcast and then giving information. Mm-hmm. And there's much different, di- much different besides giving your own information than giving clients information. So, sure. I, I, of course, I guess the argument is that if you got popular, you'd be open to um, what's the right word. You'd be leaving yourself mildly vulnerable if you got popular, mm-hmm. but, but, before you got popular, I don't think it would be any issue. Exactly. That's the thing. But um, being that, well, there's a certain indoctrination that's taken place on account of my work. And uh, yeah. and yeah. there's a lot of um, rules and sort of un, unsaid and unspoken rules, perhaps, uh, that I'm testing in, in this exercise of, uh, of, I don't want to say free speech. That seems so loaded and tied to the states. But you know, I, I basically what I see is there is a there's a um, an issue at hand, and that has to do with preempting dissent. So when you have someone that has a, a perspective, when they take a controversial idea, some of which we've talked about on today and during episodes of the silly Rex Crim show, whatever it is, you know, there's a tendency to just want to shut it down. You know, it, it, sure. This idea, this idea of hate speech, sure. You know, is based on the context of who hates it and, and, you know, who loves it. Yeah. I mean, um, so there's this whole preempting dissent. I'm thinking yeah. of the, the climate is definitely a little bit riskier to put out content in when you're, mm-hmm. when you're giving your own opinion freely, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just such utter reservation that I have to have in, in my day to day that um, I feel the need to, to be honest and, and, um, and use my voice to do some good. And I guess, I'm trying to do that in some strange way and I don't, it's not yet fully clear to me, but I, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're, you've got the forward um, thinking perspective that I 
have been contending with for some time. And uh, let's hope that this becomes, I mean, frankly, I'm hoping that this will continue all throughout doctoral studies. And uh, with any luck, I'll be back in school come, uh, come September and, and uh, I'll be able to speak much more transparently about the work that I am currently doing. Have you finalized on um, university that you were telling me about before? Yeah, I have uh, applications um, in. I'm expecting results next uh, next month, hopefully. I'm and you might, will you be moving to a city closer to me, or will you be doing lo- quite quite yeah quite possibly? I uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed and um, pending the offer of admission uh, and the nature of what doing research and going to grad school again might look like post pandemic. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if it would require necessarily relocating to where the university is, or if I would be back and forth a little bit. But I, I think it would mean to say, you know, I have intentions of of uh, of coming back nearer to home for for the for the years that I'd be, you know, undertaking the PhD. But I, I think to myself now, I also wonder because I'm sort of enthralled with the the podcast and. I, I think, you know, what even is the point of doing academia when the impact is so minimal? I mean, it's black and white text in peer-reviewed journals that no one reads or cares about, whereas a podcast has the potential for impact, you know, far-reaching. So, um, you know, it really makes me question my own intentions and uh, ultimately, you know, we shall see, but I'm, I'm excited for the near future and uh, it'll be the first to. Well, certainly if you took the, you know, the thoughts and the efforts that you'd put into a PhD and put it to this podcast, I'd agree with you. You'd, I'd, I'd make the argument that it'd be much more beneficial mm-hmm. in the long term. Well, the whole plan was to carry it out over the four year period that I'm doing my doctoral work. And uh, if that's the case, then. That's yeah. the best case scenario. If you could, you could, you know find the effort, find the time, which, which certainly we all can. We just make excuses not mm-hmm. to. Well, on that note, I'm, I'm very um, grateful for the time you've, you've uh, given thus far. And uh, so thank you. No, I'm happy to do it. I'm, I mean, it's, it's, that's the main reason why we're doing this. It's enjoyable for both of us, for sure. My fellow, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, how I would even go about uh, qualifying you as uh, as a person of interest or, importance in my life and i mean i've jotted down uh you know a fellow scholar in pursuing life experiences and uh in in certain ways my personal confidant so um sincere thank you to you nathan for taking the time and uh not just for the podcast but also for introducing me to the love of my life and uh, all the other great things that you've that you've uh, opened my eyes up to Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'll give you the final word, my friend. Uh, we've got the nominations in. I'll be reaching out to Michael, uh, a.k.a. Big Papa, and perhaps Decam, and uh, there'll be future episodes to come. Yeah, I, I just I just want to be back, and uh, definitely a couple of topics that I want to discuss and talk more about what your plans with the podcast are and, and definitely see the material that you have already created. That's definitely top of my list did you manage to find uh, what's available thus far on uh, on on any of the platforms oh you've already released things on the platform there's just a trailer at the moment you can check it I've, out i've seen the trailer i've seen it on on spotify for mm, sure right on I, I need i need that episode baby yeah well i could send it to you right now i've got two ready to go but i uh i think i'll do the big launch and uh, stand by i'll be in touch with you about this episode and i'll let you uh 
I'll let you, uh, you know, provide any input and basically get your blessing For sure. before I hit pull the, <laughs> pull the trigger. Sounds good. But I think it's been it's been me more on the line than you uh, getting into personal affairs. I think we both have stories we could tell that the other wouldn't feel totally comfortable being publicized. But at the same time, both I think both of us at in our heart of hearts don't care we're, we're happy with what we've done in our lives yeah it's a you know. this vulnerability is what makes it uh, kind of entertaining and that's that's the at the core of what's genuine and authentic so without further ado i think this has been the longest episode to date but uh, for good reason we've touched on a lot of topics so once again a special thank you to you my friend and uh, we'll be in touch all right thanks mike all the best